Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Iron and Soul podcast. I am um, super excited today and I think the most, one of the most curious I've been in a, a guest. Um, I have my friend Casey on today. Hello. And he is a friend, newer friend, and I know almost zero about Casey. Other than we like, I know we like two things, jujitsu mm-hmm. and Jocko drinks. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's sure. a, that's a, that's all I know so far. That, yeah. So far. Um, I also like beards and beards, tattoos, beards and tattoos. I need more of both. You do right need now. more of both. You, yeah. you, I can only see a little bit of one. Yeah. That's, that's only one. That's a family crest. And then nice. Name on the back in case I forget. Or in case you forget your yeah. name, <laughs> your last name or your first name. Last. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're one of those dudes that got your name on their back that you can never see. <laughs> <laughs> it looks really good uh, with my butterfly that's right above my my ass. Well, yeah, at least small if on my back. it. I hope. I don't know if you remember if you were there for the conversation at the picnic a couple of weeks ago where we found out Carl has a back piece, but it's not centered. What? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So whoever put it on his back didn't How center. big is it? Is it big? I don't know. I didn't. I don't remember. See, he wouldn't show us. That's right. He wouldn't show us. Um, <laughs> but it drives Rachel crazy. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, how long have you been in Kansas? Oh, that's a good question. On and off for since rather. Um, 2004. 2004. Did you grow up in yeah. Kansas? No, uh, I grew up south of St. Louis. South of St. Louis. In, in the suburbs. Missouri or Illinois? Or uh, Missouri. Yeah. Missouri. Okay. Yeah. Um, what'd you grow up doing? Oh, that's a good question, too. What did I do? Um, I looked out my window a lot okay. and wondered about the rest of the world. So I remember specifically spending a lot of time being bored to death. Okay. Um, I would, I did a lot of sports. So. I started playing football since I was six, and I stopped when I was like twenty three or twenty two or twenty three. Okay, when I graduated college. That's when I. So you I went to school stopped. for football, or you got to played school football yeah. in college. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, but as a kid, it was just uh, exploring my neighborhood, riding my bike. I used to make maps of the neighborhood on paper. Okay. Um, I I used to uh, sometimes get into trouble every now and then. Okay. Um, I don't know why we thought it was awesome to smash mailboxes with bats isn't that a weird thing isn't I it did, i did it too I know. Like, like so many f- kids do that like what the fuck i don't know just destructive maniacs yeah yeah We're- so we, we would do that sometimes it's like if you gave a kid like an empty can and some rocks he's eventually gonna throw rocks at the can right and that's what mailboxes are to young boys right we just smashed them. now how big was your town um i mean not too big it was um it's kind of like one suburb connected to another. Okay. Um. So. It, I mean. So suburb of St. Louis. Yeah, then. Yeah, okay. Yeah, south of St. Louis, and um. It went through phases, so it it had like a growth phase. It's bigger. Mm-hmm. It's much bigger now than it was before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was. I was in the neighborhood right when it was going through this like, moving, like culturally it was changing from like. Cowboy culture to like city culture. Okay. And so there was this interesting mixture of both where you would find kids of like legitimate rednecks mixed in with like kids of like just 
like, uh, what's the word? It starts with an N, like metropolitan, metro... Metrosexual? Metrosexuals, yes. Plenty of them. Kids of metrosexuals. No, it was uh, just... It was just like half and half almost. It was strange. Okay. Uh, but, you know, we all found ground or common ground in sports for the most part. Um, now, were you a cowboy or a metrosexual? <laughs> <laughs> I was a Cowboys fan, which makes me a metrosexual. Okay. That totally makes you. I don't know if – do Cowboys fans still exist? Yes, they I, do. I don't know. They do. Cowboys they, they fans. They have to. Texas is still existing, so yes. Cowboys fans, I'm sure, still exist. Which I became – I'm not a Cowboys fan by any means. Um. But I've become a Texas fan. Hmm. I used to not be a Texas fan. You mean some a fan reason. of Texas? Yes. Yeah, for sure. And then not the universe. I don't care much for organized sports. So yeah. So when I say Texas, I'm a Texas fan. I mean the state, not the not the university of. So can I ask then what has changed in your mind about Texas? Um. Hmm. I think it was a couple elections ago, it became a little more purple. Mm-hmm. And I like that idea. I like that idea of a state that has both people living in it, both sides of the spectrum, both politics, and everybody's getting along for the most part. Um, kind of like my high school era. Right, exactly. Yeah, you got conservatives who were uh, country folk, and you've got um, liberal people from the city. Yeah. All mixed together in one big school. It was awesome. Exactly. Yeah. And I love that because I fall right. I honestly fall right in the middle of things. Right. I'm socially. Metropolitan was the word. Metropolitan. I was <laughs> not metrosexual. That's funny. Metropolitan. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I fall. I, you know, I'm socially, it, socially liberal. Right. And then there's some things that I'm just a little more conservative about. Right. Like yeah. I'm a big fan of guns and, you know, things like that. Have you ever been to Vermont? No, I haven't been to Vermont. They're a lot like that. Vermont is like, uh, isn't that where Bernie is from? Bernie Sanders? I have no idea. I think he's from Vermont. And uh, anyway, they're, they're kind of like that. They're like outdoorsman type people, mm-hmm. but they care about other people. <laughs> so that's right? kind of nice. Yeah, it's nice you know, when yeah. you can like like other people and like cool shit too. Yeah, like shooting shit and you know blowing stuff up and killing. There, there's something about like the animals. mountains that make you a rugged person. Yes, and uh, but it doesn't mean that you can't also be a liberal person, right? Or so, a kind person, so like, right? Yeah, or a kind person. So I, I think in a lot of places. Culturally, um, you you find pockets like that in the mountains. Yes, I mean I've lived in the mountains a few times, and man, people are fucking cool. Yeah, you know they're just. I mean, when you live in the mountains and 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 they're harsher conditions, right? You have to rely on other people at times. Yeah, right. For electricity or gas or food or whatever, because shit happens. Yeah, and you find uh, it it feels good to help other people when they need help. Fuck yeah, it does. Yeah. There was, I had a, uh, where I lived in high school, it was, uh, it was hilly. I wouldn't say it's mountainous by any stretch of the imagination, but there were, uh, a lot of hills in my neighborhood and it had snowed and then, uh, there was freezing rain mm-hmm. on top of that. And I had this just garbage looking truck. It was my first car. Um, 
but it handled really well. It was uh, four-wheel drive, handled really well in the ice and snow. Mm-hmm. And I must have helped like six or seven different people up the hill where right. they had slid all the way down the hill. Mm-hmm. And then they just got out of their car, got in my truck, and I, I started just ferrying people nice. up in the neighborhood. They're like, yeah, I'll get the car tomorrow. <laughs> and there's this uh, awkward, you know, almost pile of cars at the bottom where mm-hmm. people had attempted to get up. And uh, that was that was the first time I thought I should go live in the mountains someplace. Right? Like, this is fun. This is fun. So you played, was your um, favorite sport football? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Football yeah. is my first love. First love? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, – it was the only place where I could be a total maniac, and it was highly encouraged. Okay. Um, linebacker? No, uh, offense and defensive lineman. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, there's been a few times where I've played linebacker, and it just I'm just awkward okay. as a linebacker. I'm not fast enough to be a good linebacker, uh-huh. and, <laughs> and, uh, and it feels weird being on two feet. Okay. So if I had a hand down or – both hands down, like I'm super comfortable okay. on all fours. Like, <laughs> right. Like that's, it's just a different world. I, I trained for way too long before somebody put me a linebacker for me to really be good enough at that. So what position on the line did you usually? Um, I played, throughout my career, I played everything on the line. Okay. Um, in high school and college, it was uh, offense. I was a, on offense, I was a, uh, rather in high school, in offense, I was a center. Okay. Which... I appreciate it a lot. I like that. Um, I like that position. It was either center or guard. Um, but, you know, like the fastest way to sack a quarterback is right at the middle as soon mm-hmm. as the ball's snapped. So, like, you're the first line of defense right. uh, for the little bitch who takes the ball behind you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, it's up, to, <laughs> so it's up to me to save his life every play. Right. And uh, I took great pride in that. Okay. So, I know we are not on video as – you can tell you are not a big fatty. No, not today. Not today. But were you back then? Were you a big, I mean, no, cause they make, <laughs> that's what they do now is make big fat guys for yeah. the line. Yeah. Well, you gotta be big. So right. you don't always have to be super fat. Okay. Uh, but you do have to be a large human being. Um, I was 15 pounds heavier in high school than I am right now. Okay. And I still fit my eighth grade wrestling singlet. Oh my fucking yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, yeah. you must have been a scary ass fucking dude. wrestler, dude. No, I was just super nice. I, just like uh, if you ever watch me do uh, no gi jujitsu, I still have no idea what I'm doing. Like, okay, it's uh, I get beat in no gi almost ninety percent of the time uh, because I just I'm clueless for some reason when there aren't grips from a gi. Okay, so I got my my game has to change. I need to like switch up my days so I can make sure that I go to no gi. So. Uh, is it is it because you don't you can't remember takedowns or or you can't remember like um i haven't really i don't know i it, i trained jujitsu for about a year before i came here mm-hmm. and it was all gi okay. right and uh you had to pay extra to do no gi and, uh, all this other okay. shit. and i was like look dude i'm cheap plus my <laughs> kids need to learn so like that money needs to go to them right a little more than it needs to go to me okay um so i didn't do it there and there was a lot of stuff that, like wrestling, I remember wrestling, and I remember being bewildered and confused about how you score points. Mm-hmm. I was like, this this game sucks. Like, whatever we're doing here is right. miserable. I don't get it. I can't punch them. Right. I don't get <laughs> – yeah. yep. I can tackle them, but then they'll be out of bounds, and then all of a sudden I'm 
you know, I'm not doing well. I don't right. understand what's going on. And if I get on my back, I lose. And if I get on my back, I lose. Yeah. And then, uh, so I didn't understand the rules and, and it's, it's hard. It's the hardest sport there is in high school. Hardest sport there is in general. Yeah, I, believe. I mean, probably. Yeah. Yeah. As far as a wrestling room, right? Like that's the hardest working room Dude, the, in the, ever, the walls I've ever are seen. Wet with sweat. Oh my god! And, Watching like, what drips off the ceiling. Like what other sport does that? Not one. It's fucking insane. Yeah, I love it. Dude, it, it is awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. I wish I would have stayed in wrestling. Yeah, uh, me too. To be honest, I would have been a better football player for it. Yeah. Um, but anyway. So center, and then what'd you play in college? Uh, I was on defense in college. Defense, okay. Yeah, so um, defensive tackle in college. Okay. Again, I was like too slow to be like an, a linebacker mm-hmm. and a little bit too short to be a good defensive end. Okay. Um, so they just put me right in the middle. I'm fast, I'm strong, I don't stop fighting, and okay. I love violence. So where, it was a where, perfect spot. Where'd you play? Uh, I played at Benedict College in Atchison. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, that, was a, that was an interesting mix of people because you had – all the Division One athletes who were too stupid to go to Division One schools, right there, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then you had your, your weird, like uh, I would call them anomalies, like people who were, uh, like bouncer type goons, like just goons mm-hmm. there, and some of them hadn't played much football before, mm-hmm. and we're like, you know, how are you, how did you end up here? And we're like, oh no, I met this coach one day, and he's like, oh, you're big, you should go to. College, you go college and play football. Yeah. Okay. So there was a there was a culture change there too at that school. Like if you go there now, um, there all of the football players are like young professional men. I was probably in the last group of people of just goons and psychopaths um, who just want to crush skulls. Okay, and so there's been a culture change in some of these. Uh, I can't speak for all college sports, but for a lot of these college sports where, you know, the school doesn't want to deal with the headache of all of your <laughs> failed drug tests. The school doesn't want to deal right. with the headache of, you know, you're starting this week, but, oh, you got arrested. Um, you know, there's assault charges and, like, all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, there were some uh, – when we all showed up there, there were some gnarly people there playing football. How much, how much um, gear do football players actually use? Gear, how do you mean? You mean steroids. Yeah, that's what I thought you meant. So, <laughs> I I don't know. Okay. So, I didn't realize. Is that I can, can, no, can't I, confirm or deny? No, or is this, that this was I like don't a, know. A big, no, no. This is a, a big, a, I had a big, um, oh, great. I'm thinking of another word and I can't think of it. Uh, aha moment. Okay. Um, I think my junior year in college. So, Everybody would, would leave school, you know, go home for like their break, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a good portion of the team would come back, almost all of them 15 pounds of muscle heavier. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, what the hell did you guys do over the, <laughs> over the uh, summer? And they're like, oh, I just worked out a lot. I'm like, motherfucker, I work out a lot. Right. It's like, what did you do? And uh, I was too, I was ignorant to all of it. Like just somebody could have you know, put a bunch of tests in their leg in front of me. And I'd be like, Oh, do you have diabetes? You know, like I was just dumb. <laughs> like, what was that? Okay. Type two diabetes. <laughs> oh, it seems so young. Yeah. Man, I was so, so naive, man. Yeah. And, uh, so one day my, my roommate got a package from India and, uh, 
I was like, who gets packages from India? You know, I'm like signing for his steroids. Right. On the front porch. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'll sign for this. Cool. And uh, so I bring it in. I'm like, you know, this is a package from India. Here you go. And they're like, oh. And they thought I knew, but I was too stupid to know at the right. time. I just thought maybe he ordered, I don't know, whatever he's into, sex toys or something. Indian porn. Yeah, that, that Indian sex toy porn. And uh, <laughs> so they're like, all right, we need to have a house meeting, you know. And so they have this little intervention for me. To let me know that like half the people in my house uh, have been using steroids over the last year and that I need to keep my mouth shut basically. And then it became this like, uh, you know, show me how it works. What are you doing? How'd you find it out? Like mm-hmm. I was so curious about it that uh, I was just drilling it. So I, I know how much they use, but I don't know. And they were stacking it with everything like right. they'd have testosterone and then you'd have like blockers for whatever estrogen. estrogen. Yep. And then you'd have, uh, they had like, Deca and D ball and yep. like all this other shit. And uh I mean it worked. Like the, one of the guys that that well the guy that got the package, we were freshmen together, and then he he went away someplace. Uh, I think he went back home, took a, a year off and then came back. Mm-hmm. Um we played the same position, uh defensive tackle, and we were both small for D tackles at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh when he came back, all of a sudden he's like starting offensive tackle. Like he's fucking huge, jacked as a Dude, motherfucker. Huge, yeah. yeah. Real big chest, real strong arms. Uh, squatted everything that we had in the gym. You yeah, know, like he was super strong. <laughs> yep. And uh, you know, I was like, "Oh my god, do you work out like four times a day?" He's like, "Well, three times a day." Dude, I tried working out on the off season three times a day for about two or three weeks, and was like, "I'm gonna die if I do this." Right. I don't know how they're doing it, and it turns out performance enhancing right drugs right really enhance your performance that's they really and the do. rest time is like flipping a switch like, yeah you go home take a nap wake recover. up yeah recover and then go hit the gym again and you're you're getting like a hundred percent out of the workout and then you're off you rest and then go do it again it's like it's amazing yeah that's what people don't under quite understand about steroids is they think they make your muscles which they do but the work makes your muscles it just helps you recover quicker yeah so you can then go make more muscles so we did an experiment for the lulls me and my friend um when our football season our senior football season was over um the spring semester started and we went out for the track team because we're like what else are we gonna do what i'm bored i don't even want to be in school right (laughs) i'm just bored (laughs) to death and uh so we showed up with the track team and uh have you seen you've seen Step Brothers? Oh yeah, where they walk in, they're we're here to fuck shit up. <laughs> we're here to fuck. That's shit exactly up. what we said to the track coach. <laughs> <laughs> we walked in the doors, we're like, "Hey, we're here to fuck shit up." And they're like, "Are you guys throwers?" We're like, "Yes, we can be. Like, we'll throw whatever you want. Yeah, I'll throw that guy. I'll throw this guy. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, whoever you want me to throw." We're like, here's a big ball. You throw that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we we were throwing shot put and. So we did, we did this experiment. My friend was going to go through. He's also my roommate. He's going to go through a cycle in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm just going to stay clean. So I didn't do anything. And um, I was out throwing, him, out throwing him on the shot putt by a good, like, three inches or mm-hmm. so. Like, we're neck and neck for the most part. But three inches in shot putt can be that's, – that's that could be what you need to win a, uh, a tournament right. or a match. And um, so I was consistently out throwing him. And then it was like – five or six days after he started uh, his next cycle that he was just, just incrementally getting closer at three inches went to, you know, two and then two to one. And then all of a sudden by the end of the uh, season, he was beating me by like a foot and a half. 
Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah, and we did all the same workouts. We we ate basically the same food. Uh, we did all the same shit. So that's a foot and a half in the shot put is like that's a lot. You might as well just go home. Right. If you're not if you're not able to compete within a few mm. inches. Wow. Okay. It was cool. And then we ended up so we went to this little school and got partial scholarships like fucking suckers. And we ended up going to the uh <laughs> we ended up coming here to KU to do uh it was like an open invitational. Mm-hmm. And we beat the guys from Michigan, KU, uh Nebraska and uh I mean he won the 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 shot put contest. No and then shit. I was like second. Yeah. I forget what that's fucking called the the field day or whatever they do up here. Yeah. It's a big tournament. Yeah. Big track and field oh, it tournament. It takes forever, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we ended up throwing, getting bored because we had like 4 hours between our next uh set of throws and we, we walked down the street to a bar and started binge drinking and then walked nice. back. Uh I was drunk. He was probably half drunk. And then he ends up winning. Then I threw again. And, uh, yeah, we ended up doing, like, first and second. And I was like, nice. dude, we went to the wrong school for the wrong fucking <laughs> the sport, wrong man. The wrong school. Yeah. Um, what did you get your degree in? Oh, it's useless. Uh, journalism. Journalism. Journalism, yeah. So you did you like journalism? You know, I liked the idea of journalism. Okay. So I liked the idea of uh, researching and then uh, reporting on what what you might find. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the investigative journalism. Okay. That to me is valuable. The rest is just gossip and bullshit. Like right. I don't really care. Uh, we, we had these, my, my small private school is private so it can do what it wants. Right. And you don't really have freedom of speech or freedom of press in a private school. Mm-hmm. And that took a lot of like, a, a lot of discussions with the president of the school at the time. And, uh, other people administrators to get that through my head Mm -hmm. Um, because I wanted to understand where all the fucking money's going in this place. Like this place is making millions of dollars um, and nobody knows where it's going. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I I was kind of, uh, I was disgruntled because we had this off season, this break. So we go on whatever, I think it was spring break and somebody who lives in town broke into the dorms and smashed all the candy bar machines, took the money and took all the candy bars. Right. So we all get fined, even though we weren't at, at school. And so we, we get fined something like $100 each. Each student? Each student who lives in that dorm, assigned to live in that dorm, oh, got fined, and none of us were even there. So I'm like, who made that money? Like, because, you know, one floor of $100 per student is enough to buy more of those candy machines. Like, right. You, that's and there's a thing called insurance. Yeah. And then there were six floors. So right. I'm like, okay, you guys just made bank. And so I started like investigating all these different fines that different dorms have had throughout the years Mm -hmm. and uh, how the money flows in and out of uh, like the city of Atchison and the school. And then, so I started uncovering some interesting stuff and then I put together this, I worked my ass off on that story. I put together this big story. I went and interviewed everybody like I was supposed to, you know, all sides of it and all Mm -hmm. that and wrote a good story. My editor was like, Holy shit, this is like the best story we've had. And then, we submit it to the paper and all of a sudden it's not in the paper. <laughs> I got fucking censored. They, they ghosted it. Boop, they delete. Ghost, yep. Yeah. And then they replaced it with pet profiles. So some, okay. some freshman sucker uh, decided to come in and uh, he didn't know what to write about. So mm. he's like, I'll write about pets that students oh, have in their dorms. Shit. It's like the most boring shit you can think Fuck of compared yeah. to the thing that I worked weeks on, you know? Right. 
And, uh, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So then I was, uh, I started an underground newspaper. Wow. Uh, oh, yeah. Interesting. And I got in trouble for handing it out. <laughs> oh, oh man. man. My school hates me. Yeah. They, they still do. They uh, still do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I harass them on LinkedIn and like other professional sites. Oh, you do, like because they're asking people for money still. I'm right. like, I, where's that money I gave you? Right. <laughs> where's the, where did that go? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I never give. I get my, uh, asked from Ku and Washburn for get donate money. I'm like, no. Yeah. I no, gave no you chance. a ton. You're, yeah. You're fine. Yeah. You guys are fine. You're fine. Ku can run the entire school off off the proceeds from football alone. Exactly. It's like, why do you even charge students at all? Yep. Where does that money go? Where does that money go? Exactly. It goes into um, people's pockets that it shouldn't go into. Yeah, there's this gigantic administrator, like bloated level of mm-hmm. class of people almost that just absorb that cash somehow. Yep. Yep. But I mean, at least at a public school, they're required to report how much they've made and like right. where it's supposed to be allocated to. At a private school, dude, it's a slush fund. Yeah. And they work with the Catholic Church. Oh, and yeah. so the Catholic Church has multiple slush funds around. You know, they're, they're one of the old school powers of the world. Right? right. And they still are. Hence the fucking castle right up the street. Like if you go to the campus, it's a beautiful yep. campus now. So I do know where my money went. Right. They, they fixed it as soon as I left. Right. <laughs> like these goons, we got to get them out of here. Yeah. They're going to spray paint the walls. And then smash our gonna, mailboxes. <laughs> <with> bad, <laughs> smash the and then, so then now we just get little metrosexuals to play football for us. Exactly. <laughs> and, and some of them really, really are. I'm like. You know, it's it's tough when you're getting older, you should try not to look disparagingly towards the the, pre, the, the next generation mm-hmm. uh, because they know some shit that you don't. Right. And they're dealing with stuff that you didn't have to deal with. And um, but some of these football players, man, like pencil necked, thin waist, little little fellas. I'm like, they, OK, so it's peewee uh, football for it's peewee football for college kids. And yeah. you've convinced this kid that it's worth his time and effort and potential brain damage to go play this sport at your school that's going to overcharge you for a degree that's not useful. Right. Yeah. But we could say that your journalism degree was useful in a sense, right? So I have backed off that in recent time. I can't make money being a journalist necessarily, but I can read an article and look right through it. Right. So that has been valuable to me, but it, if, you, if I were to do a cost, a cost benefit, enough. it's still not. But worth it the money. may have served you well into the things that we've we're going to get into, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you think about what you've done, and I, yeah, can neither confirm nor deny what you've done because we're going to get into it. That it could have played a role in that, whether it was conscious or not. It certainly did play a role in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can absolutely say it played a role. In so it. what did you, so after you got done throwing? At KU or at the KU tournament. Drinking and throwing. What's that? <laughs> Drinking and throwing. Drinking and throwing. You <laughs> eventually graduate. Yeah. And then yeah. what do you do? Uh, I graduated and then I deployed. Okay. So, were so you- I had joined the Army in between semesters, my junior and senior year. In between uh, junior and senior year. Okay. And then so, uh, yeah, talk about changes in like physical ability. I went from... 275, joined the army, got down to like 230, got out, went back to school, <laughs> went back up to 275. Okay. And then uh and then graduated and then it was like, oh shit, gotta lose weight again. Like, oh my god, it was exhausting. Okay. It's a lot. But uh yeah, deployed right after that. 
Um, but what? Let's go back. I want to go back. I want to go back. What made you decide to join the army? Between what? So what was going on that yeah, made you good. decide to 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 join the army while you're in the middle of playing football? I just breezed right over that. Yeah. Um, I knocked up my college girlfriend. Oh, needed health insurance. Needed a job. I was always. I was actually in ROTC. Okay. Uh, before that. Okay. So my my intention was highly likely going to join the military. Okay. And so I was doing from PT. the very beginning. Uh, yeah, from my sophomore year at least. Sophomore, yeah. yeah. So I was going to uh, ROTC classes, taking the leadership courses, uh, going to some of their training events and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they had we did it uh, through Northwestern University, I think it was, is what it was, okay. Northwestern Missouri State, and uh, and then, yeah, so I, I was I was highly likely going to join the military at that point. Okay, um, this just sort of like pushed me in that direction okay uh it was just like hey it's now or never like this is the perfect time to go i could i timed it just right so that i could uh i could be back and done with training by the time my baby was born okay so so tell me a little bit more about that so you knocked up your college girlfriend yep joined between in college you knocked her up yeah yeah and then so then you went for basic train like that summer basic training thing and then came back to school yeah, I went to basic training and AIT for artillery. For artillery. Yeah, and okay. then went back to school. Went back to school for your yep. senior year. For my senior year. Okay. Yeah. And then your baby was born when? Uh, baby was born right before that. Okay. So, so like I August? got I got back and was I was living in Lawrence for okay. like maybe three months okay. before before she was born. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So she's at what? She's a December baby, November baby, December baby. Don't come on, dude. She might someday ask and don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, I okay. won't. I don't remember. That's what don't I'm saying. Remember. Okay. Okay. Um, it was warm. I remember that. So it was okay. warm outside. Okay. Okay. So then I text, I text my wife and be like, Hey, what? When was. <laughs> so. Is, is this college girlfriend the same? Do I know her? No, you don't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That so, was my way of like trying to be cool yeah. about the situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, you don't. Okay. And uh, my wife doesn't know either, so don't tell her. Okay, I won't. Tell I'm just her. kidding. She knows. So, long story short, um, baby mama, mama is a lunatic. Okay. Um, it it just is what it is. She might not be right now. People change, they grow, and so right. on. It was not going to work out. Okay. Um, there was a. Uh, it got it got really it got really weird. That last year of college was extremely difficult on me and her and my friends and family. Okay. Um you know, when you're going through like when you're going through real shit, you find out who your friends are. That's right. You, know, you, you do. find out who your family really mm-hmm. is. Um if you are going through something that is ultra stressful, it then puts stress on them. And if they just like back right off it immediately, like they're kind of they're into them at the time. They're right. not necessarily into mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. And, and, or interested in helping. So there was a lot of relationships that were tested at that time in my life. Um, but she was, uh, she had some abandonment issues okay. from her dad. Mm-hmm. So her dad left when she was a, a little kid. Um, didn't say anything, just left and disappeared. As far as I can tell, I met him once, by the way. It was the first time that she met him, too, face-to-face. Oh, well, that's awkward. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, so I, I think her and her mother have a lot of the same emotional issues mm -hmm. and they go through the, some of the same, uh, sort of thought processes and, or lack of thought processes that end up ruining their own relationships. Mm -hmm. okay. So they're ultra clingy and, uh, they're insecure, super insecure. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then that ends up just pushing away yep. your partners, your friends yep. and everybody else. And then those people always end up alone yep. and mad at everybody. Yep. And uh, so it was one of those situations, um, and we decided that it wasn't going to work out between the two of us, and that we were going to have our baby adopted. Okay. So we have had our baby adopted by another family okay. who also lives in Kansas City. Okay. And it's an open adoption. Okay. And I was just at her house yesterday. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So we know each other. Um, I've babysat her. She's babysat my kids. Okay. Uh, we took her skiing with my family. Okay. I mean, she is family. It's a, it's an extended sort of family. Right. Um, you know, no families are, I, you know, what family is perfect? I have no idea. I've, I've never met a perfect family. Not yet. one. But um, this one's pretty awesome because her brothers and sisters, there's so many of them, and they're like this big extended family, and they're always welcome at our house. We're always welcome at their That's house. That's fucking cool as shit, dude. it's dude. awesome. Yeah, that there's is really no, neat. There's no hang-ups on like, who I am or where she comes from or anything right. like that. Um, she's free to ask me questions about anything at that uh, period of my life if she needs to know what was going on. Um, and she has. She's, um, well, she's 13 now. Okay. I think she's 13, yeah. So it, so you did she? Did you guys put her up for adoption as soon as she was born type of thing? Or was it? Yeah. Right, okay. Dude, it was a while. It was a while, right? So we were, we were spending the, the entire gestation period was spent trying to find a family right. we're going through adoptive services we went through catholic charities we went through mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of other like nonprofits and stuff mm -hmm. and we're trying to find somebody to adopt our kid and it was interesting because we just knew it wasn't going to work out between the two right. of us and we had seen so many broken families in our own personal lives growing up that we didn't want that for for our kid mm -hmm. and um people were like totally shocked that we weren't addicted to drugs. Like people looked at me like expecting me to freak out and like hit somebody or something right. because they, they had just seen through their adoptive process. So many like desperate people. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was, uh, it was interesting watching people like look at us being like, wait, both of you are relatively speaking in sound mind and body mm -hmm. and you're, you're going to give your kid away. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, that's probably, you know, looking back, I think that's probably the best decision, the best time that you can make a decision like that. That's right. You know, like mm -hmm. I say she was crazy, but she, she did make a good decision mm -hmm. for, for everybody involved. Right. Um, she didn't want to have to share custody. She also didn't want to have to raise a baby. Mm -hmm. So like, well, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You can't have yeah. both. You can't I have mean, neither. Like, what do you want to do? Point, there's a mature... There's a maturity to be the fact that I, I can't be your dad right now. Yeah. Right. Like I just, I just, I would not be good at it. Yep. Right. And there's somebody else out there that will be good at it right now. I'm just yeah. not going to be that person. It was, uh, I had some discussions with, um, some of my religious friends in my, in my, uh, army unit and they, they couldn't understand the idea because they have good relationships with their, their daughters and stuff. Mm -hmm. They're like, I can't understand how you could give your kid up. I could never do that. And then, you know, there are so many stories in their specific religion about adoption and about taking in other people 
whenever in their time of need Mm -hmm. and uh and also knowing when to sacrifice your parenthood at the appropriate time Mm -hmm. so that's something people don't really talk about like um who was the baby that got thrown in the basket that's right right moses yeah moses now that's a story that uh you know the the jewish and christian um religions hold dear to their their history of people right is the moses story and who took him in and who took him in the fucking pharaoh yeah who is going to destroy it all yeah well that didn't happen in our case but we did have our moment where we're like we got to put this baby in a basket yep you know um it wouldn't be advantageous to anybody in our in our state of mind at the time in our financial situation at the time Mm -hmm. um to to be able to raise a kid it just wasn't going to work out right um so there's balancing all things there's a time and place for everything that's right and it doesn't mean just because the time is rare doesn't mean that it's not necessary and and the thing i think about it now when after you tell the story is now you have a relationship that's not damaged Mm -hmm. right like you have a a real relationship with this your baby yeah right it's just not what it would have could have or whatever the word she right? calls me her birth dad right and then she has her mom and dad that raise her mm-hmm. uh they do all the day to day and then i'm her birth dad right and she has a birth mom and that's the distinction and then that's it so there's no question on your origin story right but the reality is you get to be the best dad you can be to her today yeah right when you might have not been the best dad at the time i knew two things were going to happen one that her mother was going to show her true colors to everybody else because mm-hmm. there was a, there was a lot of uh, just lying about our situation. She would lie about who I was. She would mm-hmm. um, try to do it, whatever she could to destroy my reputation and to build hers up. And I knew if I just stayed quiet, I didn't have to say anything about her. I didn't have to. This is the most I've ever talked about her. Okay. Um, I didn't have to go talk shit to people and say that she's crazy and whatever else. I would just let her expose just, herself. Yeah, that's usually eventually. the case is, is yeah. you just let people do it and they, they usually blow themselves up. Yeah, yep. yeah. And that was that was the case. And, um, you know, so like there's there are reasons why like I'm allowed to visit whenever whenever I want. Mm-hmm. And she needs special permission to do it. Okay. You know, yep. um, there was there was that and there was uh, there's another thing. I don't need to tell my daughter everything that happened unless she's ready to hear it so mm-hmm. she has to ask me this is just something that i've developed my, mm-hmm. on my own i'm not going to tell her what exactly was happening unless she asked me and unless i think she's at a maturity level in her life where she can handle the rest of the truth mm-hmm. um, so i'm just going to give her what she needs when she needs it um, if she needs it from me mm-hmm. and um, that's 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 how i thought of our relationship going forward before she was born. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about those two things. Those two things are going to happen. I'll give her the information as she needs it. And mm-hmm. then I'll let, uh, I'll let, uh, you know, her mother do whatever she needs to do to get through this period in her life. Cause it's not as much as I dislike her. It is not easy to do what she did. Right. And yeah. for whatever reason that she was going through, uh, her emotional things and so on at the time. Like, I don't even know why she was acting 
that way. Mm-hmm. And it's too complex for me to figure it out. I'm not a therapist. It's not what I do. Yeah, right. And all I wanted was uh, a good, safe place for my daughter to grow up. And I knew that if we stayed together, that wasn't going to happen. Right. That's awesome, man. So you then graduate, right? Yep. And then you are in the Army. And what were you in? I was in the 2nd 130th Field Artillery. Okay. It was, uh, it's a HIMARS unit. It's a high mobility artillery rocket system. It's a truck that you drive around and it's got rockets on the back of it. Okay. Um, it's a devastating machine. It's amazing. I f- and I believe that is what my nephew, my nephew just graduated RO and is, was ROTC. Now mm-hmm. he's going to go to Oklahoma to train. Yeah. That's and the then artillery school. And then he'll go be at Riley. I don't know. It's he's going to be doing artillery and rockets, but I don't know exactly what. That's that's ninety nine percent sure that's what it is. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So so you, you do that, and then you do you immediately deploy, or do you go train for a while? Yeah. So the deployment was like a. It was very strange. It wasn't a real deployment. It wasn't a wartime deployment. Okay. We went to Egypt. So okay. in Egypt, yeah, there's this uh, this mission that's been going on since the seventies. There was a was it a three-day war? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the three-day war that happened in the 70s where the Israelis came across the border, basically took over all of Sinai, and was they were just sick of all their neighbors' bullshit. Yep. And they're like, F you guys, we live here now. Yep. And uh, the United States came in and was like, all right, well, everybody calm down. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you guys move back over there, and uh, we'll set up uh, a peacekeeping operation. Yep. We're going to put troops here in place, and they're going to observe uh, for violations of this uh, peace treaty that we're going to draw up. So they drew up the, the peace treaty, and uh, we've been there since the 70s. And so I was just one of the many rotations of uh, soldiers and guardsmen and airmen. And mm-hmm. uh, I think, who else was there? Yeah, there's a bunch of people. Everybody's been there. Okay. If you go to some of those outposts in the middle of nowhere, you'll see all of the, uh, the insignia of all the units that have come through. Okay. And there's just... It seems like there's hundreds of them. <laughs> okay. So you so, deployed to Egypt. Did yeah. you get to see the pyramids while you were there? Dude, the pyramids are awesome. I can't. Someday I'm going to see them. Pyramids are awesome. The surrounding area sucks. Okay. So I loved Egypt for a lot of reasons. I hated it for military reasons. We were at two different wars at the same time, and I was just fucking off in Egypt. Right. So I had this, like, survivor's guilt mm-hmm. of just, like, sitting here twiddling my thumbs with uh, with a rifle that I can't even... I can't even pick up without approval from, you know, a commander. Right. So it was super lame. Uh, there were some threats there, but it wasn't anything uh, significant. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there were still like Hamas running, right. uh, mm-hmm. running guns and weapons and drugs and all that kind of shit uh, on the north end of the Sinai Peninsula. They would run that across to uh, the Gaza Strip. Um, and But we didn't do anything about it. We would just be like, oh, look. You know, a, a camel or a donkey with like 15 RPGs duct taped to it. Cool. All right, we'll cool. just see where it goes. See where it goes. Yeah. <laughs> just Track that goes. thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was a, I equally hated and I equally loved that deployment. Okay. Um, we got so complacent that we were on drugs at the entry control points because there wasn't nothing to do. Right. It was so boring. And I don't recreationally use drugs. Mm-hmm. That's how bored I was. That's how bored I was. Yeah. We had a we had an epic fly incident, like a biblical fly problem. Mm-hmm. Um, there were so many flies at this outpost that when you open the door, it would leave a wedge of clean floor 
and then the rest of the floor would be like black with flies. Ugh. Dude, it was horrific. And um, oh my god, army leadership, the solid army leadership, decided that uh, to fix that problem, we should take all the rocks that are in our outpost. The outpost is made of gigantic rocks, so like the floor is rocks, and they're like they're maybe the size of like cantaloupes and softballs, mm-hmm. and they're just awkward and big, and you can't walk on them. Anyway, so uh, we're like, hey, let's. <laughs> he goes. You need to move all the rocks. The flies live in the rocks. And I'm like, no, man, the flies live on everything. Like, they're on everything. They cannibalize each other. And they lay eggs in each other. And it's like, it's horrific. He's like, get all the rocks out of there. So we just do this, like, stupid uh, manual labor for, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, a, a day or two, just moving rocks. <laughs> and it turns out that these flies, a species of flies, are they're sand flies. And their house, their little houses are in the sand. So we moved all the rocks and exposed all this sand. And then they like quadrupled the fly population. Nice. By that time, thankfully, it was time for somebody else to relief in place. And they came and lived there. And we fucked off and left. Fucked off and left. Dude, it was was wild. Uh, But the pyramids are super cool. If you ever find yourself in that area, you should go. Um, Did you run into any cobras? I didn't see one cobra. Okay. No, not one. Okay. Um. The, the pyramids were weird. There was a, uh, so there's this, the, the big like international museum there. Mm-hmm. The museum in Egypt has some of the most amazing, like historical, historically significant and, and ancient uh, structures and artworks. Mm-hmm. And they don't give a fuck about it. I can't tell you how many people were like, you can just walk up to empty sarcophaguses and jump in them and tape, take selfies if you want. Like there weren't, there weren't velvet ropes. There weren't like anybody saying, Hey, don't do that. Stay off that, you know, look only there weren't signs, nothing like people can just that's touch awesome. the stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's cool on one end. Cause yeah, I do want to touch it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I do. I do want to touch it, but it's, it sucks on the other end because that will not be preserved for future generations. And our selfies I mean, are going to have to suffice. I mean, come on, dude, that sarcophagus <laughs> lasted for 2000 years. I think. Yeah. I mean, that's true, but if you've ever seen, like, a, a bronze statue that is, has, like, the nose of it worn off, it's because, you know, 30 million people have booped its nose. Yeah, but, <laughs> but we don't... Who gives a fuck about the nose, right? Yeah. I'm just... <laughs> um, we got to touch it. We gotta well, be like, I mean, we, we were like... encouraged by the police, so we paid the police to, uh, to be our security. Mm-hmm. We had one guy who was a, a liaison for the Egyptian government. Mm-hmm. Uh, we called him 007 because he had an MP5 and a suit jacket. Uh-huh. Fucking slick looking dude. And uh, nice. so he was super cool. And we we're trying to like, you know, touch his gun and mm-hmm. stuff. And he was, he, was, he was way more professional than we ever were. Um, and so he was like annoyed with us. But his job is to make sure that, you know, some agent of Hamas doesn't try to kidnap one of us. Uh-huh. And, uh, and we're just a bunch of idiots running around Egypt. But... Um, he wouldn't stop the children from uh, like begging to sell us stuff or begging for like candy and things like that. So we're like, Oh, we'll just pay one of these cops 20 bucks. I feel bad. I wouldn't have done this again, but we paid a cop 20 bucks and he followed us around the whole day. And he was like beating the shit out of these kids, dude, like hitting them. He grabbed one kid by the neck and threw him down a hill. Jesus. Uh, there's no grass or anything out there. It's all rocks and desert. So like this kid is messed up now. Like, haven't been thrown down a hill. Oh, he's going to be fine. Oh, yeah, probably. Bro. Well, there was a revolution a year later, so I don't know if he's fine or yeah, not. Yeah, probably not. Okay, one more uh, Egypt tomb story. Okay. Our tour guide, they all have a side hustle, right? 
Oh, yeah. God bless him. Because I'm interested in the side hustle. I'm like, yeah, what do you got? What, what do you, you want to sell? Yeah. Me? You know, mm-hmm. let's get weird. Let's get weird. He got fucking weird, dude. Check it out. Uh, so we were, <laughs> got weird. Just check it yeah, out. He was like, uh, he's like, hey, do you guys want to see the skull of a pharaoh? I yes, like, I do. Yes, I want to see the skull of a pharaoh. It's like, cool. And he's like, this was just recently excavated, is what he said. And I'm like, ah, okay. You know, I'm real skeptical, but we're going anyway. So half our group leaves the other half, and uh, we go off. And there, there's fucking tombs all over the place. Like, mm-hmm. there are right. holes in the ground all over. And it's not just the big pyramids. There's, like, a lot of structure there. Mm-hmm. And um, so we go over to this other tomb, and we go, like, down into it, and it opens up in a little chamber. And um, he's like, okay, okay, get your cameras ready. So we all got our little cameras because we're going to take pictures of this. And I shit you not, I've got pictures on my phone. He, <laughs> he moves a brick from the floor and reaches in there and pulls out a legitimate human skull. And he's like, this is a, uh, you know, Pharaoh so-and-so. Pharaoh we've never even heard of. Like, it wasn't on the informational brochures, and no one's ever seen it in a National Geographic, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And uh, so, like, everyone's taking pictures with it. And, um, and then I'm like looking at it. I'm like, this is like a relatively speaking new skull. <laughs> right. This is Frank. Like, this is my <laughs> uncle. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, this is Muhammad Habib or somebody like th- this fucking guy's head is like two years old, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah. So we're just all holding somebody's head who'd Somebody probably died, said, probably died a recently. few years ago. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Before we get into the next chapter, I got this. Yep. Ah, the middle P. That's always good, feels good. Yeah. So, um, you get done cruising in Egypt. What do you do next? Oh, the infinite line of odd jobs. Okay. Yeah. So, come back home. Uh, there, there just wasn't much going on. It was a recession at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, so I did stuff like I drove trucks. I, uh, I chauffeured for a while. Mm-hmm. I had a a knee injury from that deployment that needed surgery, so I went through the VA for that because I'm cheap, mm-hmm. and uh, and decided uh, that'd be a, the fastest route to free healthcare. And then a year later, I finally got the knee surgery, and it right. worked out real well. Um, <laughs> I was walking around with a cane for a long time. Oh Jesus! Yeah, it was it was rough. I was a chauffeur at the time when I was when I was doing that, and uh, so I would. I would drive like Lincolns and uh, Suburbans and mm-hmm. stuff. It's pretty sweet. Pretty sweet job. I got to meet some interesting people that way. And um, and then, so I had the knees here. What else happened? I don't know, all kinds of shit. Oh, I, I met, uh, not met, but I met up with my wife shortly after, or shortly before I deployed. Okay. And so I'd been with her since then. Okay. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's like... F- Oh, she's going to kill me. 10 years? 10 years. 10, 11 years, something like that. Okay. And, uh, like, I worked at Jay Dunn. I drove trucks. Um, I drove um, forklifts. Okay. Uh, cranes when they weren't looking. And, uh, right. I dealt with unions. I ran a rail yard. Uh, I did all kinds of stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. So, how did you get into the contracting business? I hated all my odd jobs. Okay. I was like, these jobs suck. I don't care if this company makes another billion dollars. I'm not going to see any of it. You know, okay, right? They, that was that was a a lot of what happened at. Uh, so the the rail yard in Edgerton, Kansas, is an inland port. Right. So port like when when you say inland port, think port like a uh, 
like a shipping port that you would drive boats up to and unload massive boats, uh, like shipping containers. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the same thing, but for trains. That's right. Right. So I ran that whole fucking place. I coordinated the whole thing. Okay. And uh, it's like an ever-changing Rubik's Cube. You can never make a perfect plan. Something will always fuck it up, and you've got like 60 bosses. <laughs> no. You got sixty bobs from my office space, <laughs> yeah, exactly. telling you how to do your dude. Thing. It was uh, it was reports. like, who do I want to piss off today? UPS, FedEx, USPS, or the federal government? And then you would just cycle through those uh, because you can't make a plan that services all of those customers, right? Because there's just too much rail to go, or there's too much freight to go on the rail, and somebody's gonna have to wait. That's right. why you have that, like, uh, you know, three to fifteen day period whenever you FedEx something. That, that's why the that's why it's like two weeks long because there's somebody like me somewhere in the middle of the country who's like, all right, I've pissed off FedEx enough. I'm gonna have to front load their stuff, and USPS is gonna just have to wait. Right. So like, your shit is now on the back end. So when I th see my package sitting in Lenexa for yeah two weeks, exactly. Yeah, it's so your fault, dude. Logistics is like it's a nightmare. <laughs> okay. It's a it's a it's an amazing world, and it was cool to see like commerce at that scale. Mm -hmm. It is amazing. Everything comes on the rail and everything comes on boats. Like, so to see it and work with it mm -hmm. every day, it's That's a never cool. ending sea of shit coming, coming through and going out. It was like, uh, I was imagining sometimes that these were like, uh, that I, I worked at like a, a capillary, like inside of a lung, like exchanging oxygen for uh, CO2 yeah. or, uh, you know, maybe these were like uh, gigantic blood droplets for this big machine that we call the United States or something. And it was up to me to like set them on their own way, you know, or somebody dies. Yeah. Or somebody dies. That's how they act. Right. Like, My package isn't here. Right. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so I did that for a while. Um, that was cool. And then I got, so I got into, I didn't get into intelligence on purpose. Okay. Which is so funny. Um, the intelligence community people are laughing their ass off if they if they hear that because that's nobody does almost nobody does right like, it's yeah, just handful something full of people want to be James Bond and I get that that's cool right. but uh, everyone else just sort of shows up and I was one of those people so like like did somebody send you an application or nope. so was, I got into drones okay so drones happen to be used in intelligence mm -hmm. a lot so um, I remember being like bored to death in Egypt. And we were supposed to report uh, aircraft, enemy aircraft. I was told not to say this at the time, but I'm saying it now. We saw Israeli drones flying over Egyptian airspace illegally all the time. And I reported them, and those reports never went anywhere. So now you know. Now you know. Um, now and I was like, what the us. fuck is that? Because they didn't train us on drones. They didn't train us to observe drones. Uh -huh. They trained us to observe like fighter aircraft and surveillance aircraft okay. and things like that. And so you'd see these weird shaped planes flying around. And every now and then you'd get a good view through uh, like a set of binoculars, which are the fucking worst binoculars they gave that they, that they make. Um, I had my own civilian binoculars that my dad sent me. And I used those instead of the ones they gave me. Um <laughs> I think they, they were, it was like a bullshit mission. They were like, pretend to look. We're right. going to give you these right, because binoculars. Because yeah. Israel's our allies, so why wouldn't yeah, we? so pretend to look. Uh, yeah. And uh, that's why I pretend to report. Like, everything was <laughs> bullshit about the whole mission. Um, so, you know, I could, I could get a good glimpse of uh, the Star of David on, mm -hmm. the, on the side of one of these planes. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And just stuck in my head for some reason. That was cool. And then later, you know, I was watching uh, some news article or whatever, and then I saw our drones on the news. 
and it was one of the first times that they had talked about him. And uh, I was like, oh, that's the same plane that I saw. You know, <laughs> you know that, uh, that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's like sitting there drinking a beer and he's pointing at the TV. Yep. Dude, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's what I did. Yeah. I did that thing. <laughs> and uh, so I got interested in UAVs. Um, I didn't really know what to do with my life, and I was interested in UAVs. I found this, uh, this piece of paper I wrote uh, my life's to-do list when I was a sophomore in high school. I've never had a real direction. I still don't have a real direction. Right. What I do have is a list of shit I want to do before I die. Okay. Right. I wrote that as a sophomore in high school, and I've since then added a few things to it. But um, it was a list of like 50 things. Like some of them are just outrageous. Like make a lot of money is one of them. And there's no, <laughs> there's no description. How do I decide what a lot is? Yeah, make a lot of money, like travel a lot, like mm. go to do, do whatever. Now, drive a car really fast is one of them. And uh, so, okay, I marked that off. And uh, so one of them was get your pilot's license. Okay. And so I went to K-State in Salina to go get my pilot's license. And that's whenever I started to get into UAVs. They were starting a UAV program. They just had an aviation robotics program by the time I went there. And then, um, so I was technically one of the first students in the UAV program there. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, it's a, aviation school is expensive. It's more expensive than a private school. Right. I already blew a shitload of cash on uh, on a private school. <laughs> to play football. <laughs> to play football, yeah. <laughs> I paid them to play football. Yeah, I paid them to play football idiot and uh and uh, yeah i paid out of pocket for knee surgeries so that's that's not good spend the first half of my life really financially stupid <laughs> most of us do yeah. most of us do and uh so i was like all right well i need to get i need to get the fuck out of school like how do i find a job flying drones anywhere doing anything i don't give a shit or flying planes if they'll let me like i was like looking up uh, our requirements for flying planes in like Uganda and stuff. Okay. Turns out there are none. They're like, <laughs> you know how plane work? You fly plane. I'm like, oh, I can so do was it. so this was after running the yard in Edgerton, or yeah. kind of during the same time you were getting that degree? And I want to say that was. Oh, sorry, sorry, no, that was before. I'm getting my timeline fucked up. I did the Edgerton thing after I had deployed, and I did the. UAV thing before I worked at Edgerton. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, I'm at school. I'm trying to figure out how UAVs work. They didn't have a real curriculum or a program, but they mm -hmm. had a bunch of cool drones that they'd gotten on a grant, and the, the drones just sit there. They don't fly them. I'm like, fuck, this is stupid. Uh, I was like, all right, well, how do I get a – how do I make a drone right now? And they're like, well, you can't. you got to wait till you're a senior. And I had fallen for that shit before. Like, uh -huh. I'm not interested. So what I did do was uh, enough research on my own to find out how these components all work together. And I built my own shit out of uh, Lowe's stir sticks, like the paint stirring sticks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I got uh, little electric motors. I did steal an autopilot from the school, which is illegal, I understand. But I gave it back. Well, as long as you gave it back, you, know, you just a, borrowed it. You didn't I'm steal a nice it. guy. Yeah. To get into that building, you have to be a U.S. citizen, and it's all ITAR-controlled uh, equipment because it's spy gear. That's right. basically what it is. Um, and you can go study that and be a part of that, but you can't if you're not a U.S. citizen and you cannot take it out. <laughs> so I took it out. So you took it out. Yeah. Of course you did. Fuck them. Uh, so I took it out and I stole one of their batteries while I was at it. And I was like, all right, cool. I've got an autopilot, a battery. I need four little electric motors and some electronic speed controllers because it's just an RC plane or an RC right. helicopter. Um, 
with an autopilot. And an autopilot just keeps it straight, straight and level. And that's it. So it's super easy to use and, and super easy to build. So I didn't need anything but uh, two sticks crossed and then duct taped together. Ah, right. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So I got two flat stir sticks from, I think it was Lowe's or Home Depot, one or the other. And then uh, taped them together, slapped the autopilot on top of it, taped it on, and then uh, plugged everything in, put a bo- uh, battery on the bottom in the center, and just kind of felt it to see if it was balanced. And sure as shit, she flies. So that oh, was my first shit. drone that I, ever, awesome. that I ever built. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't want to get another degree. I didn't want to stay there for four years. If you've ever been to Salina, the only thing there is to do <sighs> is drink and fly planes. Isn't there a good burger place there, though? Like a good... There is. Cozy Burger. Cozy Burgers, yep. God, get yourself some Cozy Burger. Your car will smell like Cozy for like a month. Yeah. Uh, but that place is good, and they do have unique burgers. You can only get a Cozy Burger there because that grill is like, I don't know, 100 years old or whatever, mm-hmm. and so it develops a specific flavor that you can only get there. Yep. It's, it's a good spot. I took my kids there, and I was so excited to take selfies with them and stuff. We're on our way back from Denver. They're like, why is this important to you? <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't. This is just a burger. Yeah, they're yeah. like, great. Yeah. <laughs> Eat the burger and let's go home. Yeah. Um, so I, I left there. Uh, oh, sorry. I I applied to work for uh, these defense contractors. Mm-hmm. So I found out who they were, found out how the structure is set up for hiring, because they, they really wanted you to be qualified to go at the time. Right. And uh, – I got in so early that they were willing to like be flexible with some of the uh, qualifications, but they were still like too much. They, they wanted like a thousand hours of flight time. They wanted you to be uh, ISR certified intelligence families reconnaissance mm-hmm. certified. And you have to go to like a school in Arizona for that. Um, and it's a military school. You can't just like apply to get in. You have to be in the military and then go. Uh, okay. Um, so I didn't have that either. I was an artillery guy. So I just did a lot of research to figure out who had the weakest requirements and then i found that company okay and then i lied on my applications and got in <laughs> so if <laughs> you know there's there's a handful of people in that in this world the intelligence community that are like they're straight laced people they're truly the most honest people that i've ever met and they do not tolerate even little white lies because once you get into that space everyone's lying all the time and you don't always know why. Sometimes it's part of their like cover story to get into a country. Sometimes they're trying to get promoted within the, the ranks or something like that. Mm-hmm. So everyone's full of shit. Um, and so those people hate this story. They hate how I got in because I got in and I'm, I'm the type of person who can, who can hang out with anybody. Mm-hmm. And I do. And they like me and they don't like that I lied uh, to get oh. in. So, um, interesting. Yeah. So how do I know if I can believe this story? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> You'd have We're going to go with it. Okay. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I remember taking the, I, w- I wasn't much of a wordsmith, but this is where my previous degree did come in. So I um, told you'd come back around. Yeah. What I am is a creative writer. <laughs> ah, yes. Um, so I was, applying and I know I didn't meet the requirements. So what I wrote on my cover letter, uh, was that I'm capable of doing. And then I took copy paste the, uh, text from the program description at K state into the cover letter Okay. because it had everything spelled out 
professionally exactly how it needed to be said, and then I, w- I would sort of rewrite uh, each individual sentence okay. to make it sound like I said it. Right. Um, so I knew that I wasn't going to get the job if I just applied with like, oh no, I just think drones are cool. Right. You know, they'd be like, oh, fuck this guy. You know, moving on to the next thing. Um, so I had to make it sound good. So I took uh, the language from their website and put it into the cover letter. And then I called the uh, the hiring manager like six times. And uh, it took a lot of, of uh, honestly, it took balls to do that because I'd never, you don't want to lie to a employer. Right. Because they will find out. Right. Right. However, if you're strategic enough, there are some times when you can do that. Right. So I knew that they had a, uh, a training program with a new autopilot system. This is, you only know this stuff if you go like three layers deep with research on the companies and this, the technology and everything involved. Um, I knew that a lot of those people didn't know how to use it. And um, they, their training program was supposed to be like 12 weeks long. I was like, okay, so if I get into the program, I know I can perform in an academic setting. I can crush it. I can just mm-hmm. stay focused and do it. Um, so I got to get my foot in the door somehow, and then I can get in, and then I can, uh, I'll, I'll just be like anybody else. And so uh, I got there, and I thought, you know, maybe I'll have to put like a 10-hour day in or something like that. And I, they didn't know that I lied to get in, but they knew that I wasn't a UAV guy as soon as I showed up. And because, uh, you know, they're all, talking, they're all talking ISR, and I wasn't taught ISR because I didn't learn it. I was never, I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> and so they're all talking intelligence stuff, and I'm like, oh, shit. Just, you know, keep your nose to the grindstone and go through class and don't right. say shit. And uh, it was like 14 to 16 hour days for the duration of the time that I was there just to keep up. And I wrote down everything that I didn't understand and I was Googling it and searching it and uh, fucking going to the library and shit, trying to find what the fuck are these guys talking about (laughs) just so I could hang in the conversation. Right. So my, my initial uh, bullshitting to get in, in, in the door, it did in fact work, but it did bite me in the ass a little bit later. But Honestly, I scored I scored just as high as everybody else, at, you know, in the top like five percent of the of the school, and uh, I did so well that I they needed operators immediately, so I didn't even stay for twelve weeks. I left uh, after like the third week, so they're like, whoever's scoring the best on their on their test right now, like we need them now, and okay, so they sent me out. I had you're supposed to have like ten hours of flight time and operations time to be qualified to go. I had one launch, one land in less than an hour. Jesus Christ. Yeah. They're like, all right, hey, guess what? Uh, Adams, you're leaving and uh, and uh, you're going to have to you're going to have to test out like right now. I was like, OK, well, what does that mean? They're like, you're flying this drone. Don't crash it. It's like half a million dollars. <laughs> I'm like, huh, OK, OK, I could do that. I Googled it yesterday. I think I know what those words mean. Yeah. And so uh, off I went and then. Um, that's whenever you like you just you just cross into the black. There's there's the military world where everything is pretty much on the up and up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what to expect. There's a training process and program for everything, and then uh, what I call the dark side or the black is the contracting space. Okay, the contracting space is its own animal entirely. Um, it is it is the way that the federal government distances itself from all the dirty work that needs to be done. So if you need to win a war, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly on like a horrific level, and you can't always have you can't always have the the people 
in the in the uniforms in uniforms doing all that work okay um, sometimes shit just won't get done unless you have a, a contractor do it not to mention it's way cheaper like it's just far cheaper to have contractors do the work um, but there's stuff that you have to do in that world that's wild like uh, I was I was telling one of the guys at the school about <laughs> just bribes about bribing people um, sometimes these companies will send you out with 10 grand in your pocket and that's bribe money just to get around town. Like when you, when you show up so like sometimes in like Afghanistan or, yeah. or yeah. Iraq or whatever, that's just the money or wherever. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's the money that you're going to use to get around town. So do whatever you the do. thing that I'm always been curious, how do you find the person? How do you know who teaches you how to find the person to bribe? Yeah. And sometimes that guy, the guy to bribe is the wrong guy. Right. Sometimes that guy is an intelligence officer for a foreign service. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes you're talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> so, so that it's like, it's like you just wing it sometimes. Dude, so much of that shit was just, I had so little official training before getting involved in some of that stuff. So there's also levels to, uh, to the, the dark side. There's like the, the lighter inside, which is, that was my first tour, lighter inside, but it's still a little dark. So I know where to go. I know who to talk to. I know what to do. And somebody's going to meet me everywhere I go. Right. Right. So like, you're going to, here's your commercial tickets. You're going to fly to Dubai from Dubai. You're going to go to, uh, you know, some other place, get another connection and you're going to fly in country at this, uh, military base. Um, and then from there, there's going to be, you know, somebody there with like your company name on it. Mm -hmm. Go talk to that guy, you know, okay. super easy. That's basically like flying into any, uh, city where there might be, you know, a chauffeur waiting for you or something. Okay. Um, it's the same concept. That's, that's pretty easy. What got weird there. One of the things that was, uh, that I was asked to do that I know was wrong was, uh, we we were closing down a site. This was during the first attempt to withdraw. Okay. Uh, we were closing down a site, and uh, we needed to collect and bring back all the classified hard drives that we had. Mm -hmm. And on the way, collecting them all and putting them in, them in uh, packages and stuff, um, they are like, hey, we need to destroy all that. It'd be easier if you destroyed it because then if we don't destroy it, we have to then – collect all of it and then process it and then give it to the government. And nobody wants the liability of whatever's on the hard drives. I'm like, okay, so are you asking me to destroy classified information? They're like, can you, <laughs> can you, can you destroy that? We're not, you think you could do that for us? Like it says on here, do not destroy. Like he's like, yeah, but does it say that on all sides of it? I'm like, what does that matter? <laughs> What does that matter? So flip it over. It says, yeah, it says like nothing on that other side. I was like, do you want them or do you not want them? He goes, it'd be great if they were lost. And so that's what I mean by uh, that's light gray. It's, mm -hmm. on, it's still on the dark side. You would never do that as uniformed military servicemen. Right. Um, there is an entire huge process for that. And there's a specific guy in your unit who handles all that shit. So if you had some classified materials at all, you would bring it to that guy and it's his job to, uh, dispose of it properly mm -hmm. and there will be records of him dis disposing it and that's how that's how it is so it's it's all searchable uh from the high end down to the bottom end in the military but as a contractor i mean i was out in a burn pit <laughs> in a burn pit with a big stick and diesel fuel and i'm just like stirring this big barrel full of 
uh, hard drives and uh, papers and shit like that as we're getting ready to. It was a hell of a sight. Yeah, it was funny. Interesting. So it wasn't all suits and James Bond type of shit. It was burning shit in a barrel in yeah. the desert. Yeah. Yeah. Or wherever. Right. Yeah. Okay. And it was a, it was a lot of that. And so like my, my job there as an, as an ISR guy, that was my job mm-hmm. was to go set up sites, uh, that we could fly drones out of. We right. use those drones for, uh, visual intelligence and signals intelligence. Uh, visual means you're panning a camera around and you're looking for nefarious activity. That's always the phrase used, nefarious, because it's vague. That's the because phrase it's vague, right? No one knows what that means. So like some of the nefarious activity would be like uh, if you had a satellite dish on your roof, that's nefarious. Right. Um, because the assumption was because you're poor and you're in Afghanistan, uh, who the fuck are you communicating to yeah. if you have a satellite dish, right? right? That's not direct TV. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that was our people and our satellite dishes, but they're out there doing secret squirrel stuff, and I don't know it. Right. So sometimes I'd find us. Sometimes I'd find bad guys. Most of the times it was people with, like, direct TV. Like, no shit. You can get, like, cable TV out in the middle of nowhere in the Hellman Valley. So it's uh, – th- the intelligence like that is, is so fucking dumb. It's, it's, there's nothing intelligent about it. Go find nefarious activity. Okay, thanks. Uh, okay. And then so the signals stuff was – that's all black box stuff. So they're like, hey, I need this magic box. We call them magic boxes, black boxes, to go on your plane. And you're going to fly it around in this area. And I'll tell you if you're hot or cold because there's that's rich data. Okay. So they don't want to share the rich data, uh, meaning like if they intercept a phone call or something like mm. that, they don't want you, the, the goon who just flies the plane, uh, to listen in on the call. Um, I mean, that's the way it's supposed to work out is everybody's supposed to have their own siloed off uh, sections and you get your intelligence and you don't see my intelligence and we don't share it and it goes up the chain and then somebody up there has like the God view that can view all the stuff. But it ends up never working like that. We were, if you were in the operations center, you were basically a part of the crew. So information across multiple uh, aircraft and different flight lines was shared across uh, each other's desks all the time. Um, and it makes you far more effective. That's whenever I started getting weird about like, what are we really doing here? What the fuck is the mission? Like it, we are far more effective. If I could just talk to the signals guy and be like, Hey, there's two people on a phone. Which one do you want to look at? And he's like, Oh, I can look at stuff. Like, yeah, there's a guy with a hat and there's a guy without a hat. They both have a phone. Like, and they're talking to and each they're other. Talking, they're talking to somebody they're talking to someone. Okay. Like, which one do you want to look at? Cause then he can pair the, the gestures and everything with uh, the phone call. And then, oh, shit, all of a sudden he's not chasing a signal or a cell phone or an IP address. He's chasing a real person. And he can see that person. And I can track that person. We can go wherever he's got to go. Um, but they were, like, real serious about keeping all that stuff separate. So it made it completely ineffective. And it was almost by design. Like, by any stretch of the imagination, the whole thing was a big fucking waste of money. That's the best way to put okay. it. That whole year... That whole program, it's a big waste of money. Um, there, there were, it was like 99% bored as fuck staring at dirt. And then uh, that 1% of like making a real difference in, uh, in the fight, okay. which was cool. Okay. Um, the 1% mattered. So that kept me like, that and coffee kept me like 
super alert. I was into it. I could stare at a screen for 12 hours a day and move planes around however you want. I could launch and land other people's planes while flying mine. Um, like you get real good at this shit. And like I, I flew four planes at one time, uh, and did the intelligence at the same time. So the 99% of the bullshit got you more skilled in flying as you did the 1%. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So if you're, if you're launching and landing aircraft, so the, the, okay. So the way it worked out is like you have, it's called a hub and spoke operation. This Mm -hmm. is common amongst like, uh, just aviation speak in, mm-hmm. in general. So you have a hub where all the planes come in and out of. That's where they get fueled up, maintained, and uh, replaced. And then you have spokes. Usually in real aviation, you would fly from a hub and you'd land in a spoke and you're doing something like uh, refueling and then refitting them. So okay. giving them supplies. Um, in UAVs, it's that's a handoff station because it's all remote controlled. Okay. So you only have so much range on even military drones. Um, so like if you're, you know, say 500 miles away from me and you need a plane, I could fly it over to you at 250 miles. You would turn your radios on and you would catch it. Ah, okay. Yeah. Or I could fly it just blind, which was against the rules, but we did it all the time where like you're, you're so far outside of my range of radio that we don't have an overlapping circle where our radios can both talk to the plane at the same time. So I would send it, uh, it's called lost comms. When, it, when a plane loses its communication to the ground station, it flies back home. So I just save the home point at your home where you're at. Oh. So then I would just, fly, I would send you an email like one day, be like, hey, at 2.30 on this day, turn your shit on, look at these frequencies, you're going to have an aircraft overhead and it's yours and I won't have control of them. Fuck. And so I would just flick it your way on the map and... uh Set it and forget it. That's what we always said. Set it and forget it. Set it and forget it. Yeah. That's crazy. And because uh, it'll it'll fly out there in an orbit until it's out of fuel. Mm-hmm. And then it'll just kill itself. Um, so you have to pick it up if we want to use it for your mission out there or okay. if you want to fly it back. Um, so hub and spoke operations was a, the major part of how uh, UAVs are flown. And these UAVs, by the way, they're, they're about like anywhere between 8 and 20 feet. Uh, wingspans okay. so it's a class of UAVs that's like the medium size UAVs mm-hmm. so they're they're too big to hand throw and hand launch mm-hmm. uh, you've got to have some sort of like pneumatic launcher and then you have to have some sort of uh, catching system like okay. a net or uh, or you can belly land it on flat ground or something like that okay um, but they're not like at that time in my career they weren't the large like reapers and predators that you see on TV that have like missiles and stuff all yeah. over them um they are you can weaponize them so that's always an option okay um so yeah that's kind of like the the general gist of it but most of our intelligence work was 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 nonsense it was like we were running off of reports from like six or seven years prior to the uh yeah Yeah. to our timeline at that at that time so it'd be like there's rocket rails in this area like what Bring up the date on that report. There's not, because I know my areas. Like, mm-hmm. you stare at a screen for 12 hours, you know, dude, the areas that you worked in, if you watch people for 12 hours, you know who everybody is in town, you know who their wives are, you know, uh, and I, I mean who. Like, you know if they're good mothers, you know if, uh, if their fathers kiss their sons goodnight. Mm-hmm. Like, you watch them forever. And you do a 12-hour shift, I do your the next 12 hour shift and we, we have a, uh, an exchange of, 
uh, intelligence whenever we sit down to switch off with each other. So you tell me like, yeah, this guy's here. He, all of his, all of his kids are here or like uncle came and picked up one of the kids. Um, and you know, somebody, whatever had materials that look like IED materials. Somebody had uh, a weapon, you know, or, you know, maybe it was a broomstick or whatever. Like we just, we just talk every time we hand off. And so the aircraft can stay on station for a long time. When they need to refuel, you just bring another one above it. And then the other one bugs out, and then, and then the new one is totally fueled up right. with another crew. And so the, the eye in the sky never blinks. That's fucking crazy. It's wild shit. And in Afghanistan, specifically the Helmand Valley, it's hot as fuck outside. People sleep outside whenever it's, well, I mean, all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, they would rarely go inside. When they go inside, you can't see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the signals guy might be able to know if he's on the internet or not, but it's hard to tell. Um. You, you you could watch somebody for a week and and literally not uh, th- there could be a there wouldn't be a point in time where you didn't see them in a whole oh, week wow. you know what I mean because they're outside all the time right and even if they go under like some of these sun shades are like perforated mm-hmm. and you can still see them where you can measure their shadows and uh, see what they're doing early morning and evenings are great for understanding the context of a situation because your shadow gets real long. You can see it from from the sky. And then it's like a puppet show. You can see what they're holding in their hands. You can Whoa. see uh, you can see all kinds of stuff. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. And you can measure the shadows and see how tall they are. Wow. And you can uh, you can do all kinds of real creepy shit. And most most everybody is just living a fucking normal life, dude. Right. Most just everybody. I mean like ninety nine point nine nine percent of people are just living their best lives in their in their part of the but world is that wherever they're at. Point zero one percent until they're not super bad. Yeah. 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 Like, um, yeah. I mean, we we watch people, you know, digging roadside bombs. We watch people building bombs. We watch people. Um, uh, we watch people put suicide vests on their kids, on their own kids. Uh, we, we watched people, uh, start fights, get into fights, try to get out of fights. We saw, we saw people get, I mean, fights like firefights. Right. Um, we would see people, uh, do costume changes, call them a costume change, um, where they, they would shoot at, uh, a Marine or something like that. Uh, turn the corner, change clothes real, real quick, put the weapon somewhere else. And then, uh, you know, like pretend they wouldn't them. But you're, kind of but are you communicating who are you communicating to? Are you communicating to the Marines at this time? Or are you communicating to somebody else that's communicating to the Marines? There like was that? always a liaison. Okay. An intelligence analyst would analyze what was going on and give that report to a Marine uh, like commander or liaison. And then he would talk to the group on the ground. So it would still be live action. Yeah. But there'd be several levels of communication. Live action. Yeah. <laughs> it was a... Uh, it, it was dumb as fuck, honestly, because we had, um, as cool as that all sounds, we had the ability to pipe the video right into their handheld device. And they just wouldn't do it unless it was in their standard operating procedures. They just wouldn't do it. So if I was working, working with like a, uh, a special operations group, they were like, I need that fucking video now. Sometimes they're like, I need control of your aircraft now. And I could hand control to an SF commander if he knew how the fuck to move all you do is drag the plane down the map and that's it. And then it moves. And so he would move the plane and you could hand off uh, command and control to somebody. Dude, the, the shit that they have on the commercial side of the house is super dope. The stuff that we have 
as a military is garbage. Like, if you go buy yourself a DJI quadcopter, it has more technology in it than the stuff that I was using in Afghanistan at the time. And it's better. It works better. Mm-hmm. It's fewer errors. Uh, it takes less effort. Like, the, the user interface is simple. Um, user interface for some of these drones is, like, ancient. So, so you had a lot of interactions with special forces. Oh, yeah, uh, all the time. Of, of all kinds of countries. So, um, like, pick an ally, and we pretty much worked with them. Okay. Um, that was just uh, that was just the UAV stuff in in Afghanistan. There's been a uh, since then. Um, so let's talk about what you do after that. Oh yeah, I started a drone company. Drone company. Yeah, I started okay. a drone company, and uh, there wasn't such a thing in the country at the time. Okay. So I was a little bit early, okay. but I knew what I could do with UAVs downrange, um, specifically in agriculture of all okay. things. Uh, we would do these uh, civil missions sometimes where we would scan somebody's crops. Like if they were, so if you took, if you took the money from the United States, you're a, you were a poppy farmer before you're making heroin, right? Mm-hmm. And you took the money from us, we would teach you how to grow wheat. Okay. Or corn. Okay. Some food, right? Um, Afghanistan has this weird thing where they don't have any food. Right. You can grow whatever you want there. The, the soil by the uh, Helmand Valley is rich, um, but they grow heroin. So heroin makes a shitload of money. Um, and we, uh, yeah, anyway, so we, we, we would give them a... <laughs> we have a different story. Yeah, I'll probably get to that, that one next. Um, we get to uh, doing, helping them research their crops to see if they're healthy or not and then try to understand what's wrong with them mm-hmm. and, uh, and try to fix them. So what we would do is scan a field. There would be a, a geolocation for every pixel in the field. Mm-hmm. And... With that pixel was uh, basically a small health assessment. So you could take an NDVI camera, Google it. It's a, it's nerd stuff. Um, healthy crops will put off a certain uh, multispectral light than unhealthy crops, and you can measure it. So from that point, you take uh, you take that map and you give it to the farmer. Mm-hmm. He has a brand new John Deere tractor because we gave it to him, and it'll go in that tractor's computer and it'll overlay on the computer. Oh shit! Yeah. And then from there, his tractor will be able to drive itself around the farm and then uh, apply herbicides or pesticides or whatever the fuck aside, mm-hmm. fertilizers and stuff like that in the areas where there's unhealthy crops and therefore increase his yields, right? Okay. So that's all well and good. We did that. They didn't know what they were doing. I think they sold the tires on the, on the tractor. Yep. And, uh, yeah. And went back it. to selling heroin. Yeah, went back to selling heroin. Exactly right. And... uh Loves me some heroin. Anyway, so uh, so I go I go home. I'm gonna start a drone company. I start this drone company, and it's uh, we start off doing agriculture, and it's the same thing. But these farmers know what they're doing, and, uh, and they don't mind learning new tricks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm helping farmers try to analyze their crops and uh, uh, try to reduce the amount of chemicals that they have to uh, put on their crops because they it's expensive, you know. Right. It's expensive, okay. and obviously the less chemicals humans and animals ingest, probably the better. Right. Know? It's a good, good idea. So um, everybody's all for it. Anyway, so I built that company up. We did all kinds of stuff. Um, that's where I got to see. I was trying to get out of intelligence entirely. I was like, that whole year was a weird waste of time and money. Um, it was cool to have the experience, but, like, we're not really here to fight a war, so I'm like, kind of like, fuck off. Mm-hmm. Afghanistan, go kick rocks. So I started this company. And then I'm open 
and honest about drones for the fir- for some of the first like the first time that people in the Midwest have ever heard of any of this shit. Mm-hmm. They didn't know that you could do any of it. And so I'm getting all these calls from like just manufacturers and uh, equipment providers and stuff like that. And I just start getting like bombarded by people who want to talk about technology and drones and what my company's doing and how mm-hmm. it works and blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, and then the FBI showed up at my house. Not my house, sorry, my office. Okay. Two guys, men in black, legit fucking FBI. Okay. And uh, I was like, oh, shit. what I do? <laughs> yeah, I was like, at the time, the FAA didn't really have real rules for flying. Okay. So I was like, I know I'm breaking some laws. And uh, I knew exactly which ones I was breaking. So when they showed up, I was like, oh, shit. Well, I wonder if they've come to, like, I, I thought it was the FAA. Mm-hmm. It's not the FAA. They don't send people. They don't even have resources for people. Right. I ended up doing research projects for the for the FAA <laughs> as a company later. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I found out all about them. It's, it's like a hollow organization. They don't right. have any people. Um, but the FBI does have people. Right. <laughs> and they, two of and them they showed been. up. Yeah. And they were like, uh, you know, tell us about your company. Tell us about what you're doing. Um, how much data do you collect? I was like, on, on what? And he's like, on anything. I was like, a lot. Like, that's the whole point of my company. It was a data collection and analysis company. Um, and they're like, well, does anybody ever ask you for it? I was like, for all of it? <laughs> you know? I was like, what are you, what are you getting at? He's like, uh, yeah, if anybody from these countries asks you about your data or wants to see a data set or anything like that, could you just let us know? I was like, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. And um, turns out all the people, all of the people, I started going through my phone logs and stuff. Almost all the people that had called me from manufacturers and product uh, like producers and so on, almost all of them were working with those countries. No shit. Almost all of them. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. So I ended up working with the FBI uh, specifically on stuff like that. Um, And I was like, you know, I started sending them like call logs and things mm-hmm. like that. And they started matching up phone numbers and they're like, yeah, yeah. Keep it coming. Yep. That's it. That's the stuff. That's the stuff we want. Wow. Like, huh. So yeah, it turns out if you run a tech company and there's some sort of value in your technology, uh, the whole world will try to steal it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially and, China, especially China. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, Oh, the amount of Chinese people that have added me on LinkedIn is like staggering. Wow. And I, they just keep adding me. They still do. And I'm like, click, delete, 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 delete. Go away. That's fucking Unless crazy. I know them personally. Right. And uh, I'm not, I'm just not doing it. And uh, it's all under the guise of UAVs. Like, oh, I make electric motors. I make batteries. I make this. I make that. Uh, oh, do you want to go out for drinks later and discuss business? And then while you're out at drinks discussing business, they're like, oh, what are you doing? Do you want to go to this? hotel for a minute and then uh oh like if you're at the hotel uh tell us all about all the other stuff that you do and oh would you like to make some money or maybe have some sex or maybe put yourself in a worse position to be blackmailed it just escalates it's wow ridiculous that's fucking crazy all almost all rather of those situations i've been in uh multiple times now okay Uh, so on accident or on purpose for other reasons for other people well see at first on accident okay and then later on purpose. Okay. So this is all, it's, it all kind of goes back to my naivete as a, as a, just a, 
I'm still just a young boy inside of a, an adult man body. Smashing. Yeah, just smashing, smashing. <laughs> mailboxes. Mailboxes. Yeah. Ooh, there's one. Smash. <laughs> and uh, so just like the steroid thing, like I was pretty clueless to all this stuff. I knew it happened just like everybody mm-hmm. else knows it happens. But when it happens to you and it happens at scale, it's like a mm-hmm. big slap in the face. Like, hey, wake up, kid. Like people want to know everything about you, your family, like your family's families. Uh, they want to bait you into all of these other uh, scenarios to try to basically pressure you to give them new technology, state secrets, like mm-hmm. access to uh, computer systems and whatever the fuck else you got. Anything, anything you got. So um, you created this kind of newer process, right, for agriculture. Yeah. And the way of way farmers see their plants. Mm-hmm. And then that created like this this you started creating data large data sets. large data yeah. through this system that you cr- helped yes create and the other companies slash countries wanted that technology they wanted both or the, the technology data. and the data okay so if you have it's like kicking tires you know like you you're interested in a specific thing but you don't know you don't know what engine is in any car so you're just kind of like walking up and looking around and you know, okay. sort of like like two dogs sniffing each other's butts you know, that's what Wait. you're doing. You're sizing each other up. You're trying to figure out what this person's about, if they have new technology, if they're doing something that we don't already know about. Um, and sometimes, you know, on the intelligence side, sometimes you just need to report something. So okay. if they can get you to say anything, that might be all the requirements you need. Uh, but um, if you bring them gold, of course, they'll be happy. Okay. So, so at some point, somebody approached you to say, hey, let them take you out for dinner. Yeah, and then report back to us. Who's were, taking you out for dinner? There, there was a. I mean, that happened like four times uh, in the span of like three or four months, okay. and it was when my company was new. And um, you know, dinner is not like a thing that I do. I can do lunch, <laughs> like right. I got kids and shit. Like <laughs> right. at the time, especially I had uh, I had a newborn mm-hmm. and uh, and then another one on the way. So, or not a newborn, another one on the way. I had a, sorry, a two-year-old and then one on the way. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was not something that I was really considering doing unless there was money in it. I'm like, okay, right. I started getting good at closing, you know, like mm-hmm. where does this go? What do you want? And how much money are you willing to pay for the shit that you want? Right. You know, it's, uh, I started having those conversations cause they'll just waste your time. They'll take you out for drinks. They'll, they'll schmooze uh, you for a little while. And then they're waiting for you to say anything of value that they can take from you. Okay. Yeah. And then if they feel like there's something good that you haven't mentioned, they will attempt to blackmail you. Okay. So that's, that's all shit that has happened. Okay. Yeah. And it happened here in Kansas city. That's crazy. Yeah. So like the, uh, I wasn't there. There are two places where there's it's the whole city is our spies. There's two places in the country, obviously Washington, DC. Mm hmm. And then San Francisco. Okay. Those are, those are the two major spy uh, places. Yeah. It's sort of like in New York. If you open up the wrong sewer, there's fucking rats everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what it's like living and working in those two cities. Okay. Um, they're just everywhere. You can't say shit to anybody. Um, as soon as they like, just by walking into, it's not like that in Kansas city, but just by walking into a certain building, you're, you're being targeted. Okay. Like just by being in proximity of a building. Okay. Um, so like there are, so they might've said, Hey, 
so-and-so is on this plane to San Francisco. And then as soon as you walk into, they kind of follow you and then you target you into that building and they're like, oh, it's on. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a way to do it. But I'm saying like just normal people walking by certain buildings, they just by you, a normal person who has nothing to do with any of this Mm -hmm. shit, uh, all of a sudden you're going to be followed around for a while. Okay. And uh, some of that's like training missions. Some of that is like, uh, um, is is just genuine curiosity. Why was this person at that building? At that building. Okay. Um, And that that shit is routine. It happens all the time. so yeah, that was an interesting few years. I feel like I've lived like five lifetimes in the last five and a half years, six yeah. years. Because all of this stuff was like trial by fire. None yeah. of it I had like a slow, easy class on like, okay, this is what to expect if you're being, you know, observed at a distance or anything like that. This is mm-hmm. what it looks like to have someone try to steal your company mm-hmm. and shit like that. So someone tried to steal your company? Oh God. Yeah. It just it just happened uh that happened twice. I really ought to have one of my other business partners in here on this podcast because that's a whole nother like five hour conversation. But um, I started a company, the drone company. It was doing well until uh, DJI, the uh, company that makes all the little white quadcopters. Oh, yeah. Uh, they got involved and they they took over the whole industry. Um, they could make drones at like 40 or 50 percent cheaper than everyone else because they're subsidized by the Chinese government. Ah. And there, there are digital back doors that collect all the data and send it back to China. So instead of like coming to me and saying, give me, you know, give me all of your agriculture data. They're like, we'll just sell the drones cheaper and then we'll collect the the data when they connect to the internet. So that's how they circumvented all the human stuff. Right. So once they started selling those, like the people interested in my company started to dwindle. Okay. Magic. Magic. Weird. And, uh, so, I mean, I'm still trying to run a, a legitimate company. We did all kinds of cool shit. Like we delivered tacos via drone. That was cool. Um, I shot the, uh, U S army ROTC recruiting video. It was a, uh, globally, uh, shown video. Um, I was like on TV and shit. And then, uh, like I did stuff for the Royals, the, uh, the chiefs. Um, I mean, we, we, we were everywhere doing all kinds of stuff. I had, um, we didn't do just agriculture either. Agriculture sort of fizzled out because okay. farmers were annoyed that the, the drones don't spray the crops, you right. know, like get out there and do the work. I still got to do all the work. So that didn't really work out. Um, and then, uh, so we pivoted into like video and video production. Mm-hmm. I'm a creative anyway. So I've been doing that stuff my whole life anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was pretty easy. Um, and then, uh, I still had to deal with all the FAA nonsense applying to, you know, certificates of authorization to fly over cities and crowds and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, that's just a big nightmare entirely. So I became an expert in a lot of stuff, uh, marketing, advertising, uh, finance, um, you know, all like I could teach an MBA course there, there, there's like after entrepreneurship like that, like I know how to raise money. I know who all the wealthy families are in the, in the surrounding like five cities. Um, you know, God, I suck at golf, man. I tell you what, <laughs> I have better contacts if I was better at golf, but I'm, I'm just so terrible at golf. I'm glad there's jujitsu because like, I, I cannot see myself focusing. I can, I can read regulations through FAA paperwork better than I can learn how to play golf. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, that's another performance enhancing drug. What's that shit? Uh, for people with ADHD. Oh, Adderall. Yeah, fuck yeah. Give me an Adderall. I'll read all the FAA. (laughs) I got it all down. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you got to do that stuff. You got to crunch, you know, Mm -hmm. you got like uh, proposals and stuff. 
uh, we did we did operations nationwide. Uh, I I went to Central South America uh, from people who hired my company to do uh, consulting and work and so on. Uh, I you know went to Mexico. That's that's a cartel story. I should tell that later. Uh, fuck it, I'll tell it now. Okay, so <laughs> please do. Yeah. So the there are plenty of cartels in Mexico. You never know who's a cop, who's cartel, who's not. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure they know if you live in a local town down there, you kind of you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But as a, a guy who doesn't speak Spanish and uh, you know, like I don't know anybody in that in those neighborhoods and so on, it's a different it's a different environment entirely. So um, there were there were two times I got the opportunity to go to Mexico. One I can't talk about because it, it was with uh, one of the three letter people. Um, the other one I will talk about. I never made it to Mexico, but this okay. is this is my open source Mexico story. I decided to help a uh, another guy who started a drone company um, in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, I'm working for the uh, this the the police special operations unit in in Mexico, in Reynosa. And uh, he's like, they need UAV operations for um, ransoms. Okay. There are ransoms like every fucking 10 minutes down there. And uh, so they're like, basically what we need you to do is follow the kidnapped person to the ransom spot where they're going to exchange the money and then follow the money wherever it goes and then we'll go get our money back. That's the that's the mission. Right? Okay. So he's like, I've been down there twice. We had problems with the drones. We couldn't get them to fly correctly. We crashed one of them. So we're on thin ice with these guys, but they've got the money and they're willing to pay us. And uh, so I'm like, all right, well, how much does this pay? You know, daily. And he's like, fifteen hundred bucks a day. I'm like, mm. all right, but let tell me more about like who are the police? <laughs> like who are they to you? Are they real cool? You know, are they offering you like drugs and drinks? Or are they like real straight-laced type of people? Like, who are they? And so he's going into it, and um, apparently they seem to be legit, um, but they got a few rats in the nest, right? So mm-hmm. there's there's some problems there with that uh, cop shop. So anyway, I agree to do it. I even talked to my uh, my friend in immigration who he spent his life doing ISR from, from South America, following it in planes, literally, uh, in the old school days when you'd be like, imagine like those... Uh, those old spy movies where somebody's like on a little radio and they're smoking a cigarette yep. and like wearing like a button down shirt. Like that was him. Okay. And, uh, he, <laughs> that was him for years, uh, flying in a plane from, uh, South America and following the, the, the whole drug, uh, arteries as they flow, f- uh, forward and North. Um, I was like, Hey, here's a situation down there. This is what the guy wants me to do. And he's like, how much are they paying you? It's <laughs> like 1500 bucks a day. He's like, man, that juice ain't worth a squeeze. He's like, you're going to, you're going to get fucking killed. And uh, I was like, nah, I think it'll be fine. Like, I've been in other places. I got done some crazy shit. Like, this will be all right. And uh, so I'm driving out to meet this dude the next day. I forego the good advice, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm driving out to meet him. And me and the police chief and this guy, my contact, are, we're in a, we're in a little three-way WhatsApp chat, right? And uh, <laughs> this, I'm driving out there. I stay at a hotel, meet the dude. And we're talking about ops. I'm talking about his plane. We're, we're getting deep into the weeds on, on the technology and why, what I can do to make sure that the thing flies mm-hmm. and that we can find this guy's money. 
notice it's about the money. It's not about people. Right. You know, this is all about money. And uh, so the priorities are fucked up in the first place, but whatever. So I'm like, I'm going to go help. And uh, we're, we're good to go. Well, anyway, the next, I think it was uh, the next morning, we both get a text from from the guy in, uh, the cop in uh, <coughs> Mexico. Well, it's a picture of him laying dead in the street. All right. Yeah, holes blown all through his torso. Uh, he he got into a, uh, they, they followed him home. And so you can see in the picture off to the side is his home. And they shot him right in front of his house, in front of his family. Jesus Christ. And uh, I was like, oh, maybe I should have took that advice yeah. to not go. So I didn't go. And uh, my co-worker, not co-worker, we weren't working together. Uh, you know, my, my client is going to be super pissed that I'm not going. I'm like, look, I got shit to lose. And right. I'm not an idiot either. Like, I understand that the game with cartels is they have access to the United States. This isn't ISIS. This isn't right. uh, Al-Qaeda or uh, the Taliban. Taliban stays home. They don't leave. Right. Uh, the cartels, they have people here. Already? Yep. Not, not All over. Yeah, not, not in like fucking San Diego. I mean, they have them in your major city where That's you right. live. Kansas yeah. City. Exactly. They rent houses that are empty. Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, you know, I decided I'm not going. So I split. I don't go. Um, long story short, his mission fails. I end up getting contacted by that guy's second in command later. And uh, he's like, hey, they just left all this gear down here. Are you going to come pick it up? I'm like, no, you can come, you can mail it to me, like mail it to this, like, Hey neighbor, what's your address? <laughs> right. <laughs> mail it to my neighbor's house. <laughs> and, uh, uh, he's like, well, the stuff works, right? I was like, yeah. And, uh, so we worked out a deal where I flew those operations from my bedroom in my house. So he's, we set it all up. We used a team viewer, right? Okay. Something that people usually use, like it guys will use to, uh, take control of someone else's computer. Mm -hmm. So I've got great internet. His internet's sort of in and out, but it, it works, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I flew those missions from another country entirely. I hope you wired your money to a, a account in the Bahamas and not to interest bank <laughs> <laughs> where the cartels can follow it. Yeah. The money thing was its own interesting thing, which I won't get into. There's a way around it. Yeah. Um, there's a way to do it, but that was uh, my quote trip to Mexico. Um, be, I, I did the work there, but I didn't do anything there. Right. And right. I started getting into that a little bit. I was like, wait a damn minute. I can just ship somebody a plane. And as long as they have hardwired internet in their house or wherever they're at, then I can fly where the fuck I want. Yep. And I'll just tell the people via WhatsApp that, Hey, start the engine, do the thing. Like, cause you, you work together. It's a crew. Uh, mm -hmm. so like you have to have a guy that starts the engine, a guy that fuels it up, checks the wings and stuff like that. I'll just walk them through all that shit. So that's what you can do. You can just walk them through it online, give them a little checklist. They do the thing. They video back that they've done the thing so I can confirm it. Right. And then, uh, and then there you go. It's crew resource management. Nice. Yeah. So do you, do you can currently do that? Um, I currently consult. You currently consult. I'm a consultant. You're a consultant. Yeah. Which means so and many different things. Exactly. And nothing at the same time. That's why everyone says it. That's right. Yeah. I was a consultant once. Good. And then I started in the pandemic and it then didn't work out so well. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. What'd you consult? I was going to do leadership consulting and I had hmm. a big contract and then we got grounded due to um, COVID. Couldn't travel. 
Oh, sucky. so the company that I contracted with grounded all of their people, mm. and then they took the 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 thing that I was going to do for them online, and I don't do I don't do train I don't do uh, things that should be in person training online. Yeah, like it just doesn't. Do, I just can't do it that way. Like it just didn't, everything didn't online sucks. Yeah, it's hard to do stuff online. I would have been a better operator for the ransom things if I was in Mexico. Right. But I'm not going to Mexico. No, I'm not going to Mexico. Yeah. yeah. So, so, how do I? So, you mentioned that you've done things for three lettered companies. Yes. Do you currently do things for three lettered companies that you cannot confirm nor deny? Well, if I said yes or no, I'd be confirming or denying. I don't know. I'm um, trying I still, to. I still do consulting. Yes. Okay. Still do consulting. Okay. Yeah. It could be anything from how to run your operations to find and kill bad guys to um, what kind of approval do you need to get from the FAA to do local testing. Okay. So, so it's like across the board. Across the board. Yeah. Yeah. And do you like it? Yeah. You know, I mean, I put so much fucking time into understanding this environment and mm-hmm. it is my expertise. Okay. Um, there's two things I'm an expert at. Uh, one is UAVs. The other is football. And I can't do football anymore. So, okay. you know, what are you going to do? So okay. I'm, I'm really... I want to get. I wanted to get out of the intelligence space, but it's still paying bills. Right. So I'm like, all right, I guess I'm doing this too. And it doesn't <laughs> have to do it all, and it's good contacts, and you know. Yeah, it's all. It's all. Uh, it's all fun and games till someone gets hurt. But they always get hurt. They always get hurt. Okay. Um, you mentioned something the other night that I'm really curious about, and I hope you're willing to talk about it. Is and I and I'll use your words because there were your words. Rich, poor, rich. Oh, got rich yeah. again, got poor, and then rich again. Yeah. Right. And I don't, and rich is relative, right? Like I don't. It is. Yeah. But tell me more. Like, what's the story there? And 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 you this don't is, have. This to is a COVID specific story. Okay. Um. So. Because we were talking about COVID. Anyways. Yeah, we were. Yeah. yeah. And. So COVID changed a lot of things across the board for a lot of industries. A lot of people didn't even touch really. Mm-hmm. Like they were just like, okay, I guess I gotta wear a mask now. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, a lot of my friends are like, just still, they still went to work every day, uh, the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, they were never really in any kind of, uh, like risk for getting COVID mm-hmm. any additional risk anyway. And so just some people are just cruised right through the whole thing. It was great. Cause they didn't get bothered by other people or whatever, right. you know? Um, for me, I'm an entrepreneur, an intelligence person. <laughs> uh, and then uh, my wife is also an entrepreneur. She owns a company. Mm-hmm. Um, so the both of us got totally fucked. So whenever they were, they were locking people down, like her job is to meet people in person. Mm-hmm. She has to physically like put her hands on other people. Can't do that during COVID. And she makes good money doing it. So mm-hmm. bam, that money stopped. Uh, I just started a company that uh, it was it was more or less a, a marketing company, but it was for people in the chiropractic space. Okay. So the whole chiropractic industry got fucked. So so did I. I put money into that. That money is just gone now, right? Okay. So uh, you know, there's when you start any kind of company, especially if you're trying to scale it outside of your own uh, neighborhood. You've got to put money into uh, marketing materials and things like that. Right. So we, we put time, effort, and money into it. And then uh, 
turned it on. I was like, hey, this is what we're doing now. You know, it's again, it's an attempt to get the fuck out of the Intel industry. And uh, bam, COVID shows up like two weeks later, kills all the leads. Everybody's afraid to go anywhere. Um, Everything was locked down. So, you know, a few weeks of that and we're like, okay, it was like we it took us like 15 years, 10, 15 years to finally get to the point where we were self-sufficient financially. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the UAV stuff pays well, but you have to be deployed to make that kind of money. Okay. So I can't be a father and go deploy at the same time. They just don't work. So therefore I don't get paid that much. I can make money as a consultant, but, um, you know, whenever these guys want me to, Hey, you're a really good consultant. Why don't you come work for us full time? That means I got to move to California. I got to move to DC. I got to move to these other places. I'm not moving. And those places suck. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're, uh, so we went from making as much money as we've ever made before, mm-hmm. which felt like rich to us. Right. Uh, to making no money at all and have no idea how we're going to pay the note. Um, I started a garden. Yeah. So I was like, first things first, like we got to eat. And so, uh, me and my father-in-law, uh, we, we got together and we, we dug up the yard and and made a big ass garden. It's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. So, uh, I thought, well, I guess this is what I do now. So I'm out there like picking weeds Mm -hmm. and shit, like, (laughs) like making making sure it has water and stuff Mm -hmm. like stuff that never crossed my mind. Uh, I started doing that year and then, uh, then we still had some money and people, the, politicians started to talk about real opportunities for foregoing or uh forbearing i suppose your your uh mortgages Mm -hmm. and uh because before that they had no plan if they don't have a plan i gotta have a plan right Mm -hmm. Right. so my plan was i'm just gonna live in here until someone shows up to kick me out right and then uh they were like hey it's gonna be cool if you don't pay your mortgage we'll just uh tack on the the missing amount of money at the end of your mortgage date Mm -hmm. and uh, i was like okay i can do that and um so things started sort of looking up a little bit more. And that money that I was saving, uh, you know, for, I mean, I think we had like money for like three months. We had a three month runway and mm-hmm. we we're just literally out of all of our money. Right. Um, that money, I started to invest it in the stocks. Oh, let me, let me back it up real quick before things started looking a little bit better. Um, things got hairy. So I'm a, I'm a tech nerd and some of the most um, expensive and sought after forms of transportation are consistently left all over cities. And so these bird scooters and lime scooters and these electric scooters that are just like scattered across cities, you can steal them. Yeah, you can steal them. You just got to pop the, uh, the comms chip off of it. And for a $25 investment on Amazon from China, uh, thank you, China. Thank you, China. You can just, you can just take over the whole scooter. So I was stealing scooters and selling scooters. <laughs> it's like two grand for one of those things right yeah so you know anywhere between 1500 bucks to two thousand dollars i could sell uh, a scooter and uh you know i went to um one of my nerd friends has a, a computer recycle shop and i could just go get all the chargers i wanted for free he was like yeah i'll just leave them outside because he was still covid scared uh-huh. so he'd leave me a stack of chargers outside the shit i do when my wife <laughs> she's gonna listen to this and be like what what the fuck did you do? Yeah. Uh, I, she went and got a bunch of, I collected up all the Mylar blankets in the house. Emergency okay. blankets. Uh-huh. Um, 
you know, like I keep them in my truck because I drive across the, the Midwest when it's freezing cold mm-hmm. and it, it's good for an emergency. But they're also good for blocking GPS signals. Okay. So you can wrap a bird scooter in a blanket, in a mylar blanket, and it turns off as far as bird servers are concerned. Okay. So it just disappears. So that's how you kidnap a bird. <laughs> you, take, you take a mylar blanket, an emergency blanket, you throw it over the top, you can uh, hold it so that the signal doesn't get out, and then it, it turns off. Then okay. you, you take your, I just took a knife and popped it up underneath the, uh, dude, it's desperate times, whatever. Whatever, dude. <laughs> and, uh, was. Ju- just, just cut it off, uh, cut off the comp ship. They were external to the, uh, to the actual scooter housing. And now they're internal, by the way. Okay. And, uh, and then you just take the wires out and connect it to your new board, duct tape that shit to the side, and you got yourself a scooter. Yeah, so there you go. Okay, so you sold some scooters. Sold some scooters to make ends meet, but things started to get a little bit better. So okay. you take, you take the, uh, the skills you learn in the, in the deep, dark, uh, dark side, right. and you apply them if you need to. Right. right. So there you go. Um, so I love it, with, by the way. I think it's fucking fantastic. Dude, it's like a 400% increase in stocks that I've invested in since then. Some of that is the bird scooter money. Oh shit. Okay. So, um, I invested a lot. I learned about, uh, day trading, learned about, Mm -hmm. uh, crypto and so on. I've been into that stuff for a while, but I never had a platform. And someone was like, Hey, did you try the Robin hood thing? I was like, and so downloaded that and then just started making a lot of money. So I was poor Well, I was rich, rich for me, Mm -hmm. then poor again. And then rich again. And then uh, I've been able to maintain that for now. Okay. And is that, so you're consulting and playing with some stocks? Yeah. The consulting early on in the COVID stuff died off. Right. Yeah. But is that back or not? That is back. Okay. Yeah. So government's calling again saying, hey, we want you to do some things. Yeah. They all want me to go to either coast or or sometimes Alabama. Mm -hmm. Um, Alabama usually means space. So sometimes I'm interested. Okay. Um, but, or South Texas means space, SpaceX, okay. holla. Uh, and, uh, but you know, I don't want to move. I'll go for like trips. Like I'll go for a week or two, okay. maybe three weeks max. Uh, but I'm not going anywhere. Okay. So they're hiring they you to do stuff rough. like that. Come, yeah. And then doing some stocks. And then she started able to put hands on people again. Yeah. So she's, so she's smashing it now. So, um, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of people that called her up after COVID started to lift and you know, all their backs hurt. They've been working from home, sitting in chairs, mm-hmm. stuff like that. My neck, my back, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? My neck, my back. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, uh, from sitting. Yeah. So her stuff has started to pick up a lot. Uh, and that's pretty good. So, yeah. Cause we, her and I had an interesting conversation the other night and yeah. she picked my brain a little bit about business stuff and yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I'm really excited for you guys in that trying to that next me too. Inflation is going to kill that again though. What's that? We're going to be poor again. Because you're going to have to invest a bunch of money in that? No, because uh, inflation is going to affect the amount of money people are willing to spend on what is considered ancillary health care. Okay. So um, as the cost of goods and other services go up, uh, chiropractic is going to be one of those things that they decide not to pay for. Why do you think that is? It's just how it works. I don't so know. do you think inflation is going to go up? It is going up. Yeah. It is going up? Yeah. Okay. I mean, they have all these complex like indices on how they calculate inflation. If you make most of the money in one year, like mm-hmm. just create it out of nothing, mm-hmm. like 30% of all the money that's ever been created was created in one year. Mm-hmm. How can you not have inflation or at least the devaluing of your existing money? Right. So that is basically inflation. Yeah. Okay. So, but I, but doesn't insurance cover chiropractic? 
Yeah, it will. Um, but so everything is sort of ebbs and flows with insurance with chiropractic mm-hmm. um, because you'll pay during certain times whenever you've met your deductible. You right, have. right. So um, it's not consistent money, but we'll mm-hmm. have we'll still have months where like it's it's great, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll be preceded by uh, several weeks or months where it's like it's getting a little tight. Yeah. So it's it's almost like farming, like you got a budget mm-hmm. for the whole year. Mm-hmm. So is it getting tight now, or is it, uh, or has actually it actually right now? It's fine. Uh, I expect it to be uh, probably tight in the next two or three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. I don't know if I'll see that in my business. It's an interesting one. Well, you're more on of a mental health side. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So people, I feel like. No offense to chiropractic, but if I've got serious problems, stressful problems that I need a good therapist or counselor for, mm-hmm. I'd rather pay for that than somebody to you know crack my neck or whatever. Right. Um, but that's not that's not all she does. You know, she primarily does uh, kids and uh, mothers. Mm-hmm. And so if your if your baby was just born, you know, if you've ever seen a baby born, for all you listeners out there, the three of them there's three now right there's three i think which includes you which are now you're on so yeah you're currently not listening participating i don't listen to myself at all i know it's fun though yeah yeah so like if babies when they're born they have to jam their head through the birth canal right mm-hmm. and uh your your head the, the bones in your that make up your skull are not fused and sometimes they'll they'll crush into each other they'll overlap and mm-hmm. stuff like that and babies often are diagnosed as colicky or just angry little babies, mm-hmm. but really their heads have been crushed, okay. and they hurt, and she oh. fixes that. Okay, yeah. and then they're not colicky anymore. They're just correct. Yeah, and then mom can get some sleep. Okay, and then dad doesn't want to murder everybody. And okay. then the, the, doesn't want to shake the baby. Yeah, yeah. Don't shake. The baby. <laughs> don't shake the baby. Yeah. There's, okay. Uh, I don't know how it's going to work out. We're going to see ripple ripple effects economically uh, from COVID for probably the next ten years. Yeah. I, I, man. I'm more hopeful than you are, I think. I think it's going to be a-okay. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, at this point with the last year or so, like I'm planning for the worst and hoping for the best. Right. Um, I know that we will live and that'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know. There's, there are still plenty of things that could go wrong. Sure. Do you not believe like we're kind of headed for that roaring 20s kind of thing that happened after... Um, whatever the Spanish flu or whatever that was. No. 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 I don't know how that would work. Okay. I that'd be great. I like uh I would like to see everybody like attempting to dance to crazy jazz music and mm-hmm. I don't know, wearing dresses and stuff, that'd be cool. But I don't think that's gonna happen necessarily. I it'll be if there is a roaring twenties era, um, it will be different. It'll okay. be different in a lot of ways. It'll right. be its own thing. Right. Um, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, that kind of thing. So right. So what happens in the 30s? Okay. Okay. So, I mean, the Roaring Twenties were great, but you had two world wars right after that. Yeah. You so, know, and the, the Roaring Twenties were great depending on where the fuck you lived. You were in Russia. It wasn't great. Right. It was fucking horrible. Like, people don't understand. That's what we can bring it around to modern day if you want to, but... Um, all the isms that are that have seemingly surfaced in the last year or two, uh, people clearly don't understand what has happened to Europe and Russia in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. 
right? Um, so I don't, I'm not entirely optimistic, <laughs> right? <laughs> Plus you have a, you have some insider like views, right? Dude, I tell people every, every, like as far as the government is concerned, mm-hmm. everything bad you've ever heard about the government is true. And everything good you've ever heard about the government is true. And there, there is a deep state. There are multiple deep states and sometimes they work together. Sometimes they coordinate. Yep. And that's it. Like there's, imagine like a big ship and there's one, you know, big wheel in the front and the captain's driving the ship. Um, they're like all of the passengers on the boat with the exception of us in the bottom of the boat. They're all fighting to steer the wheel. Right. And sometimes they work together when it's advantageous and sometimes they don't. They all want the wheel. Um, there's, and they'll do whatever it takes to get the wheel. Yeah. Well, the analogy here is that no one person is really steering the ship. And that's the problem. That's, well, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Rather. A sometimes, problem. Yeah. sometimes it's a good problem. Sometimes it's bad. But, um, you know, you can, if you let things get bad enough, they don't just work themselves out. They don't just sort themselves out. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm never optimistic for reasons of like, I just think it'll get better. Like, I need proof. I need, sure. I need to see that it gets better. I need to see that people are happy to see each other. People aren't always happy to see each other. And it's like, you, we just came out of a pandemic. Like, we should all be pretty happy to see each other. But you've got people that are constantly arguing with each other all the time about stupid shit. Do you mean like online or in person? Both. Yeah. So I saw, I was at a family event recently, and there were people being cordial with each other. I talked to both of them independent of themselves. And uh, whenever they all got together, they were saying their goodbyes and being very nice and polite. And then um, they're like, it was really great seeing you. Um, Sorry for that Facebook thing. They had an argument over politics on Facebook, as you do. And uh, I I don't. I I don't even know how to really use Facebook. As everyone else apparently does. And so uh, it just re-sparked the argument, and they both started screaming at each other. Oh, my God. I was like, get the fuck out of here. What is wrong with you guys? And um, it's whenever you see things in the digital world manifest themselves in the real world that Mm -hmm. I get concerned about stuff. Um, Like, I do flying robots. Some of them are murder robots. Mm -hmm. Um, On your computer screen, it's digital. But there is a reality to it outside of what you see. Right. And... uh, it is as real as anything gets. Just like your digital life on Facebook can have real effects in real life, um, even though you think that they're both disconnected. They're not fucking disconnected. They're not disconnected at all. Have you ever heard of a book called uh, Surveillance Valley? No. Highly recommend this book. So there was a bunch of stuff that I thought was ultra classified that I would take to the grave. Mm -hmm. Half that shit is in that book. Oh, no shit. Yes, and it is highly researched and very accurate. Okay. Um, this book, because it's open source now, I can discuss openly. Um, it talks about, uh, it outlines rather and proves the, um, the connection between Silicon Valley and the surveillance state that we have today. Okay. And it starts in Vietnam. In Vietnam, they had, uh, that was the first time that DARPA got that really turned up. Right. So uh, DARPA makes all of our future weapons. Yep. I've done work with DARPA. Um, I've consulted on multiple projects, one of which has become real. Um, they do future weapons like 50, 60 years out. If you think you need, you need a weapon in 60 years, they'll start working on it now. So by the time 60 years rolls around, bam, there's your weapon you needed, right? Okay. Uh, DARPA is, uh, well, I could talk about that for, at length, but 
um, Silicon Valley and DARPA, IARPA, which is intelligence, basically the intelligence folks part of DARPA, mm-hmm. um, and the intelligence apparatus, they are the same. It's not, they're, they're different. Right. They are the same. Like I'm telling you that the majority of the secret shit that happens in the government doesn't happen in the government. It's companies. It's companies that contracted by the government, contracted by the government, right? Because the government doesn't do anything. They don't produce anything, right? All they do is say, we need this. And And then then the government polices and then the government polices. Right. So they have full authority to police and to generate, uh, Mm -hmm. but they don't do the generating. Right. That's what companies do. So that's what I learned as being a, uh, my own, uh, my own small tech company was that, Oh shit, I'm the guy. I'm the hot girl in the room now. Like the government wants to date me now. Right. Like they weren't interested in me whenever, you know, I applied to be a cop or like whatever. They could give a shit less because my scores aren't well. My scores aren't good. But if they know that I can fly a drone in Mexico and not even be there, they're very interested in that. Yes. Right. So um, they don't do anything. Companies do all of the secret squirrel shit. Now, the trigger pullers, special forces, those guys, they will do the majority of the head busting and so on. Um, And good on them because most companies don't want any part of that. But all the gear they take is not made by the military. The military doesn't make shit. Right. Like all, all of the intelligence that they got, hell, the strategy that guides their entire mm-hmm. fucking lives is not the thoughts and strategies of military and Pentagon leadership. It is contracted out to think tanks. Okay. So I want to go right or left, whichever the thing is. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they were like, fuck they were talking about the government and killing people and Mm. things like that and I said it's not the government that kills people it's companies that kill people right it's the companies that you're talking about so like I made the the comment about the movie Michael Clayton you ever seen the movie Michael Clayton Mm. he's he works for a big law firm that investigates some some fucking agricultural bullshit that kills a bunch of people right yeah and then that company hires ex special forces dudes to try to kill him. Yes. That's what I believe. The company killed him. Yes. Yeah, the company to kill them. Yeah, right? what, what people don't understand and what I what took me so long to figure out is that uh, a cop and a soldier and uh, a contractor, you don't have any real power. The pen is mightier than the sword. Whoever allowed this power to be executed, you're just the person who carries it out. Right. You're just the person who has to deal with the fucking murders and, and, and all the bullshit mm-hmm. that that you did on a personal level, but it was it was directed by a standard operating procedure who was written by a company. Right. So if 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 for lack of a we'll just fucking say it, Amazon decides that they don't like somebody, they're gonna murder that person. Yeah. Yeah, you're because just, they because they can hire the person to do it. And that person is a tool. A tool yeah. to be used at the appropriate time as dictated by Amazon. <laughs> right. Yeah. And if we and if we think that Amazon doesn't do that then we're naive. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You're you are me going to school and realizing paying somebody to go to school and realizing and that football players do steroids. Everyone's on steroids. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that 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 I'm not I am hopeful about the world, right? Cuz I just that's where I live my life, right? But I understand that companies murder people. Right. Like for sure. They're the ones they're even the ones murdering in as far as war goes as well. Yeah, I mean that does that yeah, okay. So if you were to if you were to take that 
back up the chain. So like a soldier a, a, in a lawful war that's been declared by Congress, mm-hmm. which has not happened, by mm-hmm. the way. Oh, that should be illegal. Anyway, so uh, if you're at a real war declared by Congress and you kill somebody, good on you. You done good, mm-hmm. right? Um, supposedly. He is under a directive that was written by a company. Mm-hmm. That company was probably hired by another company, hired by another company. They do this in shells, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and that company at the highest level has the has very likely a flood of lobbyists who are working with uh, with congressional personnel to approve their standard operating procedure, which allows you to kill that person in the first place and not go to prison, right? It is the company. Mm-hmm. That, it is the company that comes up with that stuff. Right. So Epstein. Oh, fuck, man. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yep. That shit is not government. That shit is business. That shit is likely both. I'm telling you that oftentimes the lines are so blurred, it's so hard to tell if there's a line. Okay, so let's let's use I one that, I am one degree away. One uh what do they call it? Sep- one degree of separation? Yes, one degree of separation away from Epstein, by the way. What? Yeah. Anyway, go on. Well, fuck, you can't just throw that. You can't <laughs> lob that one out there and not to fucking explain that. Um, I had a uh, a patent that just lost a lawsuit to Facebook for artificial intelligence. Okay. Um, I made this, me and two other people put together this patent um, while I had my drone company. And we started another company called Machine Halo. Machine Halo is a data collection company using uh image classification software like machine vision Mm -hmm. to collect data and sell advertisements. (laughs) Uh, We thought we were clever boys and girls, but we didn't, uh, you know, we we weren't all that clever. Anyway, that, that threesome didn't work out, but um, one of our advisors for our nonprofit. So uh, this is some business strategy shit that, is hard to understand unless you understand how these things work to get a tech company to work a real one with engineers like that can literally change the world. You have to have the right team. That team has to be the right place at the right time and meet the right people and get the right funding. 100%. You have to be very specific about who you say is on your team. Um, People are not happy about data collection. So if you don't have a way to tell that story better, then your shit doesn't get made. Right. Right. Because you just say data collection, they're like, fuck you, get out of here. Data collection is miserable, but what's cool is solving cancer. Right. So we started a nonprofit called Compute for Cancer. It's the same concept. Uh, it's, it's, well, it's, it's a different concept, but it, it, they worked in tandem together. Okay. So we could open up doors with the idea of Compute for Cancer. So one of my tech nerds, he's not a nerd. He's a fucking genius. Um, he'll never say he's a genius, but he really is. Um, he decided to build the largest decentralized supercomputer ever and see if it could solve cancer. So he did. He rented all of the Amazon servers on the East Coast and then ran through sample cancer uh, problems. So cancer is a, is a chemistry problem. Right. The chemistry is math. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you've ever taken advanced chemistry or, uh, uh, or math, you understand that um, 
there's a high correlation between the two, right? And you can figure out a lot about cancer if you have uh, statistical models that work well with chemistry. So what he did was, um, long story short, without getting too deep into the weeds, he made a giant supercomputer that are all connected via the internet. He fed it cancer problems to solve or uh, sometimes just complex problems to mm -hmm. solve. And you could crunch how many of these problems were solved in a certain amount of time and then apply that to a certain amount of compute power, right? Okay. Um, so that's a proof of concept. It will work if you have a supercomputer. But supercomputers are super expensive, right? Mm -hmm. You can't just go buy a whole city block and fill it with servers. That shit's expensive. Amazon's already got that, so just rent it, right? Mm -hmm. So he did that, proved the concept that in fact does work. And then we went around the country looking for cancer researchers who would give us their data sets so that we could solve cancer. And the idea was we're not going to rent Amazon to do it because that's too expensive. What we're going to do is give away phones or have you download an app on your phone. So just like the protein, protein folding uh, project that ah. PlayStation has, mm -hmm. we can decentralize all the compute. You plug your phone in at night, you go to sleep, connect it to Wi-Fi, and then all of a sudden it gets a very small portion of a massive cancer problem, and it solves it using your compute power on your phone and sends it back to the, uh, to the Boink, it's B Berkeley's Open Interface Network Computer, something like that, mm -hmm. um, and they'll put it all together and solve parts of cancer, right? Um, the biggest bottleneck in cancer research is compute power. That that was a fucking aha moment for a lot of people. They're like, wait, what? Like, yeah, you, you've modeled most of cancer and most human body types, and it gets very complex, but mm. it's been modeled in computer models. Mm. All you need to do is fucking do the math. And so people would have these cancer researchers that give millions of dollars every year would have one server sitting in a room slowly crunching through some of this stuff. And they'd be like, hey, we're making great progress. <laughs> you know, it's it's not, the research isn't pictures, like you see all these pictures of people like putting vials in uh, mm -hmm. of like chemicals into stuff. That comes later. Right. The bottleneck is understanding what serums to create in the first place. Right. Um, so you can get to, you know, squirting stuff in a bottle later. Uh, the way you get there faster is by compute. So we use those two things in tandem. They both use the, uh, they would both use the patent for artificial intelligence that we wrote. Um, and anyway, Facebook fucking uses it now to read your mind and shit. <laughs> I got pissed again. <laughs> we're going to get back into So did Facebook steal the thing from you guys or just said, hey, we're going to take this now? Highly likely. Okay. Highly likely. Okay. Um, we were, our patent was was mentioned in what would have been a class action lawsuit against Facebook. Okay. Um, so it would have been roped into a shitload of other patents that they've infringed on. Okay. And it's the same thing with Facebook as it is with any other defense industry uh, company. Um, okay, so Facebook is in the defense industry, just so we're clear. Right. Um, they, I want everybody to know that yeah. that's what they're yeah. doing. Don't use Facebook. Just yeah. don't use it. Anyway, so um, those guys have many, many lobbyists on the Hill, mm -hmm. and that's what they do. They get court cases against them thrown out. We gave them a, a cease and desist order, and they <laughs> they mailed it back to us. <laughs> They're like, no, I know what this is. Fucking mail it back. <laughs> mail it back. Yeah, they mailed it back. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's we don't have any money to fight Facebook. Right. Like, you would need Google money to fight Facebook. Right. And they're both defense companies. They're not going to fight each other. Now, is Apple a defense company? Okay, so if you make locks, you're a lock manufacturer, like okay. Master Lock, something okay. like that. 
and you make one special key that opens all the locks. Okay. And then you give that key to the government. Are you a defense company? I'm asking you. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't so know I don't that have a clear answer question. I don't have a clear answer. Um, right. Microsoft is clearly a defense company oh, because clearly. all the shit I've ever used in the army and the in has been Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And uh, Google is clearly a defense company. Um, and by that I mean you sell so- products or services to the Department of Defense then you're, in some capacity. Right. So if you think about Apple and their willingness to not give their shit to courts and Congress and things like that, then in, in the front line or the, the FBI never asked the NSA. Right. They asked the wrong people. Right. The keys are already out. Mm hmm. Okay. You, they don't even build locks. Like they, they, they're making products because people will adopt the products so that you, so that, NSA and anybody else can get the back door to your mind. Your phone is where you think mm-hmm. and it influences your thoughts and you influence the rest of the world through your phone. Meaning like your world, like your friends, your family and mm-hmm. so on. Um, Am you, I you, naive in the sense that I don't do a lot of shit on my, like I have Instagram, but I don't buy anything off of Instagram. There's or, naivety there. Yeah, for sure. But it's not, uh, it's not, you're not as plugged in as, as most other people are. Okay. Um, so if you're using any social media at all, you're being heavily influenced. So just like by who, by the people that I'm paying attention to or by some nefarious, it will be nefarious. Okay. So if it's not nefarious now, it will be later. Um, and I say that because everything you do online is recorded. Okay. It's not, um, it's not like you did it and you can forget about it. You deleted your cookies and it's gone. That kind of shit. I mean, it is recorded. Okay. Everything you've ever done on the internet uh, in the last 10 years has been recorded. Okay. So, um, you can delete it you might not be able to see it, but it's still there. It still exists, right? Like, yeah, yeah and I it's get still that. being used to influence you somehow. Okay. So, um, the way that these tools are built out and at the outset, they're not built out to control your thoughts. They are built out to see where you'll fall in certain thought patterns. So like, for instance, I'm defense minded. My YouTube feed is full of like guns, technology and uh, fucking like Jocko's podcast and shit mm-hmm. like that um, and jujitsu. That's that's all my fucking <laughs> that's all it is. And uh, I've put myself in that box. It'll continue to feed me those, right, uh, those right. things because I've selected them. Right. I got somehow locked out of my YouTube um, sign in and it wouldn't let me back in on the my TV. So I don't even sign, try to sign oh, in. So I just good for you do like a regular thing. So it doesn't feed me anything yeah. new. Anything it that just, suggests something to you is going to eventually alter your thought process. Yeah. But so, I'm so fucking boring. Like even my recommended on my thing that I'm not signed into, yeah, I'm like, all, I'm not even interested in that. All the boring people in mass collected together are not so boring anymore. Okay. You all think the same way. You all do the same things. You buy the same stuff. You go to the same places. There are things that you do that there's a digital copy of you exactly someplace in like Ecuador or someplace in the UK or in Florida. And you will get the same video feeds and influences as, as your, your other counterpart. They're looking at staccato guns. 
from made in Texas. Yeah. God, who isn't? Fucking, I got one on order and it's taking forever. <laughs> no, all guns take forever. But anything worth having is worth waiting for. God, I cannot. My my tattoo artist introduced me to this company, yeah. and I've been obsessed ever since. <laughs> and I'm waiting for Centerfire and Olathe yeah. to call me with my fucking gun. Did they send it out to Centerfire? Yeah. Cause I bet they're shooting it, those bastards. It's not. No, it's in back order <laughs> from Staccato. So Centerfire is waiting for their order of them. Yeah. Because I can't direct, because I'm not a... Licensed firearms dealer, which today, today, which hopefully you can apply. I'm going to, you should, I don't, I just don't, I don't know what to do. Like I get, I get kind of like when I start doing the paperwork, I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I stop. So maybe I'll have you walk me through the paperwork. I don't know. I'll need Adderall. Yeah. (laughs) I I know a guy. So much much government. I need Adderall. But I, but, uh, so I want that. So like, I'm pretty boring. Yeah, sure. Until you buy something, geese, everyone's interested in what you buy. Geese you know? and guns. Yeah. Well, there there are different T-shirts. types of of like thought processes and mentalities and uh, mental strengths and weaknesses that everybody has, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone's just sort of like an amalgam of different uh, life experiences and so on. Um, the The power of all of this is knowing who everybody is and how they think, and all the different categorizations of the types of minds out there. So when they think of people, they don't think of you. They think of your mind, right? What is your mind doing and what is it likely to do? And then they think of that for everybody. And they think of it in those terms for people who have yet to be born. So it starts getting nefarious, like right off the bat, like, all right, let's think of minds. Who's, uh, who's who just in the world. Okay. Then you start classifying everybody, start geo classifying everybody. I mean, like, you know the types of people and the geographies that they're in, what they're capable of doing as far as purchasing stuff or what they're capable of doing as far as um, whatever, like social movements, violence, um, uh, giving. You know, it's funny because none of these fucking tools, the thing I hate about all this godlike power that tech companies have, they never seem to really do any goddamn good with it. Like there's some cool stuff that has been uh, developed. Don't get me wrong. But why can't I order tacos and have it sent by a drone <laughs> like why why can't i uh you know like why can't we have organizations that are a lot like less violent and more giving like all these tools can be used for good and bad things just like any existing tool your gun that you purchase could be used for murder or it could be used for like feeding your family or it could be used for just target shooting and plinking and like giving you joy mm-hmm. like it's just a tool to be used however you see fit problem is that anytime governments and big companies are involved um it's almost always nefarious the 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 usefulness of that tool is almost always nefarious yeah that was that i that's what i realized even though i love amazon i hate them at the same time in the sense that they make my life super convenient and i need certain things when i say need i want Mm -hmm. tomorrow the thing right yeah is that that motherfucker could have saved so many lives in this in this um, pandemic. Yeah, by just giving a thousand dollars to every whatever, like just easily, and it would have never even hurt him. Yeah. It would have only made him richer by doing it, right? Yep. But it didn't. Yep. Just fuck him. 
Right. Just like, but he still made more money than anybody else. Right. Like, yeah. And whenever his rival's coming up, uh, that reinvents the delivery and shipping or something mm -hmm. like that, um, he's going to hire some guy like me to go find that dude. Right. And then along with the team, somebody else is going to go poison that guy or whatever. Right. The fuck. Yeah. That's why I'm trying to get out of this shit. It's nefarious. Right. It's fucking weird, man. Like, wait, am I the nefarious one? Oh, shit. Maybe you are. I am Maybe nefarious. you're part of the whole problem. Yeah. And I'm part of the problem because I'm talking to you about the problem. And we're all part of the and problem. And now here's the problem. We're, we're all yeah. part of the problem. And we're all part of the solution. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're part of the solution, too. Like, okay, so here's, here's a good thing that I've done with drones. Uh, early in serious civil war, before everybody... <laughs> before the U.S. got involved heavily mm -hmm. um, and before Russia got involved heavily. Um, people needed simple shit like food, water, mm -hmm. penicillin, that kind of stuff. Um, I got my contacts together. Um, we contacted somebody in uh, Syria who could receive a shipment. They received shipments of water, water filters, and uh, like hydration packs, and like all kinds of crazy shit. Um, so we raised the money we, we didn't tell anybody, but we raised a bunch of money. We got together some, uh, programs and we set up, uh, remote drone operations there. So we gave them drones that we built that we designed to get through airports and airport security and things like that. Um, it's amazing what you can do with a little CNC machine and some software. Uh, at the time that shit was not allowed in, even in the surrounding areas. And, uh, we gave them everything that they needed to to give the people who were trapped in Syria just simple shit like food, water, medicine, bandages, wow. things like that. And they were all kamikaze drones, all made of styrofoam. So they would just fly into an area and then nosedive at a location. And then, you know, kids, people, women, children would come uh, pick that stuff up. And we wanted to do it at scale. But, uh, I mean, basically we couldn't. There wasn't enough styrofoam. Okay. So... How much weight can a styrofoam drone carry? Like, what is that? Uh, so you put you can put a dowel rod uh, or a uh, like a carbon fiber arrow, like for archery. Uh -huh. Put that in the center of the wing, and it it becomes rigid. So it flexes, but it is also rigid. Okay. And it's super light, so uh, you can make anything fly. I mean, you can make styrofoam fly. You can make a fucking pig fly. Whatever. Um, just gotta have enough thrust. So styrofoam is. Uh, is really useful because it's forgiving. So if you actually, well, I remember crash having it, those. Like yeah. I made those a big. Well, I didn't make it. It came in pieces, put together a big glider. Yeah, I used to as a kid. Yeah, I wanted to in my my drone company. I wanted to advertise that we were doing that, uh, just helping people out. But I kind of knew what was coming. This wasn't the first civil war the world had ever had ever mm -hmm. seen, and I understood the uh, interest of the United States and Russia in the area and I knew that if it were politicized that it'd be it'd be a problem because I was also helping out the feds at that time uh to catch all the people who were trying to steal my data. Right. So uh it was a real weird fine line to to walk because I needed on one end to illegally sneak shit into a country. And I needed on the other end to protect my own country as far as uh food security and data intelligence. Right. Um it's it, in this space it's hard to do the right thing. It really is because there is no incentive. Right. Like, why, why aren't you paying mercenaries to go feed people? Why aren't you paying? Like, we are the fucking people who can get through security, who can smuggle things in and out. Why isn't that not done at scale? Why aren't there fucking swarms of drones dropping cell phones in North Korea 
with internet connection on satellites above it. Like, why the fuck? We have all this amazing technology through all these companies, and we only use it for our for those companies' advantages, and and for for bullshit like power and greed. Because because we want we want North Korea to be bad, always. Well, I mean, it's fun to have a bad guy, right? But I mean, that's the thing is that we do we want bad guys because then our companies look good. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's, per, it's self perpetuating too because it's. If you change the script where there isn't a bad guy or the bad guy has to change from one to another, you notice how they're talking about war with China and Russia now? It's like, well, the caveman bad guy, we're done with that story. Let's talk about the next bad guy, the China bad guy and the Russia bad guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, God help us if that shit happens because Russia doesn't mind killing half of their population to sustain a war. No. You know? China doesn't mind doing the same. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily going to pop off. I'm just, I'm just saying like the narrative has changed. Like we were supposed to leave Afghanistan a bunch of times, but this last time Biden's like on September 11th, everybody's out. Well, he did it like two weeks ago. Right. Like under the cover cover of darkness, like, okay, let's scuttlebutt out of here real quick. And, uh, you know, I don't know, man, I'm not much for fanfare, but something needs to be said about the efforts and bloodshed and treasure wasted in that fucking hellhole. And for us to just be like, bop, out of here. And then Taliban, like, watching us leave, like, okay, I'm going to steal that shit. Give me some time. You know? They've already taken a quarter of the country in the last, like, three months. Yep. I mean, it's just going to be back to the... Dude, they're fucked. They're totally fucked. Everybody who's helped us is totally fucked. All the interpreters, all the the intelligence people that... uh, The networks of people that we've developed, those people are dead. And uh, it's just because, you know, maybe it's not profitable anymore for the companies that were writing the uh, operating procedures and uh, strategic uh, operations for the entire war. You know, there was a inspect. I really lost a lot of uh, respect for the federal government when I read a report from the federal government. The inspector general developed uh, a report over the last like 18 years on the effectiveness of the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. And uh, basically the Congress as a result of the American people being like, what the fuck are we doing? Uh, this is the only time the government's ever worked. <laughs> Where they were like, hey, we need answers. And Congress was like, okay. You know, if you whip Congress hard enough, they'll do, they'll do what you want. Right. Um, and so enough people complained, and Congress was like, all right, Inspector General, you need to put together a full report on why this war has not worked out. Um, we need answers. And, I mean, to summarize the hundreds of pages of research, it is... Well, we all couldn't really agree on what we wanted to do there. And as generals and leadership came in and out, there wasn't really good uh, handoffs for briefing each other. And uh, we just couldn't strategically agree on what to do with the country. It's like, how dare you? How dare you waste a generation of men and women like that? And then that's just... um, I'm just speaking it for Americans. Like, how, how dare you do that to the Afghan people when they could have gone on living their lives as is in their, in their tribal world just like they've always have? I mean, the audacity to inv- invade Afghanistan in the first place is like, yeah, we're all Americans and we love fighting. We're a warring nation for sure. But, um, you know, to not have any strategy in place at the beginning was a little hard to question because 9-11 just happened. But... Uh, you know, like we're looking for one guy. Why invade a country? 
I always wondered that. Mm-hmm. I would ask other people when I was there, like what they thought of it. And they're like, fuck, I don't know, man. Just doing a job. Like everyone has just like this idea of head down, do my job. Head down, do my job. Like I'll fucking worry about that shit later. I'm trying to make this money. I got a, yeah, I got an apartment to you know pay mm-hmm. for or whatever the fuck. My baby mom's crazy. She need my thing. <laughs> you know, like uh, like there's all kinds of reasons we all work, but um, someday all of us who have been involved with that conflict or any other conflict are going to ask themselves the deep questions. What was that for? Mm-hmm. Why did that happen? Who contracted me to do this, and why was it okay for me to be a part of it? Because there, there. Everybody needs a purpose. Mm-hmm. If your purpose is never-ending war, I mean, a lot of those people end up lifeless at the end of it because they get out, they get injured or whatever, and all they had was war, and then they, they realize that they weren't like morally aligned with it later once you stop to think about what you've been doing. Um, there, were, there were plenty of times during these conflicts where it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like the, some of those conflicts and some of those battles and efforts and so on were completely justified. And then to take the the many times where that has happened over the last 20 years and just fucking crinkle it all up and throw it in the garbage is like deeply offensive to me as as an American. And it it has scarred me mentally and it will for everybody else involved, too. And that's, those are parts of why I'm like trying to find other ways to get out because who wants to be the action force of a fucking moron? Like you, you get somebody who everybody wants to steer the ship, right? And you don't know who's going to be uh, in charge of the, in charge at the time that you're in. And they might just decide to go to war with like all children. Like, you know what? Children are bad. Let's go get all them. Or they'd be like, all right, you know what? Go pick up coconuts or whatever. Like some stupid shit that doesn't align with you as a person. The reasons you think you should go to war. Everybody thinks, for the most part, everybody's in agreement. There are some times when you should go to war. It's usually whenever you've been you've been attacked, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're if you're told to go to war with something that's unjust that you don't completely agree with, you're gonna have to wrestle with that for the rest of your life, and you shouldn't. That those decisions shouldn't be taken lightly, and for for the government to do this consistently over the course of like 60 or 70 years it's a fucking travesty and it it doesn't it does nothing but ruin our reputation like as a country mm-hmm. and people lose stock in what the United States should be i get that we haven't been like we've never really amounted to what we say we we're, we're about you know um but it doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for that all the time that's right no i agree i just you know it's just it's just you have this we have this like patriotism right yeah that all of us have on some level right and then there's this fucking black thing that steers it all yeah right this dark thing and then we're like do our but if we say we're against it, then we're not American, right? Or whatever the thing is, yeah. right? And or if we don't if we don't wear masks, we're not American. We're killing people. Or whatever the thing is that people just yeah. start all of a sudden saying that we're not American, right? Well, we're American because we live in America. Yeah, and it's by default. Right. Like that's why. And we should be taking care of each other because we care about each other. My my generation, 
of people like millennials in general have been bad stewards of this country and we need to change that individually um, you know there's I've talked to people my age and they don't understand basic history um, you know I don't know but it's like <laughs> I, I remember talking to somebody that I went to history class with I was like, do you not remember that? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> that, that's not what they said in history class. Teacher, we had the same teacher. Like, that's what, okay. Um, I, I think we've been bad stewards of the country because we, we're not, we just think someone else is going to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Someone else is going to do it. That's not my job. I'm an engineer. I'm going to, I do this or, you know, I, I'm landscaping or whatever the fuck your job is. Mm-hmm. You know, it, when, whenever you see things mismanaged somehow, however you see it because everybody agrees something is fucked up right Mm -hmm. um it is up to you to be as informed as you possibly can be and it's difficult because there's a lot of people that are still naive like a a lot of that has worn off me over the last few years especially the last five years let's say the majority of of it is gone for the last five years but i don't know what i don't know right Mm -hmm. and um i need there there's a lot of people who still carry a heavy shell of naivete around them Mm -hmm. um and books like uh, Surveillance Valley actually will will knock some of that stuff off. Okay. So here's here's an interesting question because you got. I mean, I know you have a 13 year old, but you also have pretty young kids, mm-hmm. right? Seven, four, and two. Seven, four, and two. At at some point, maybe not. I don't know how to tell them any of this. Right. The, <laughs> your your bubble has to stay small. Yeah. Right. And you just have to stay in that bubble. Right. You don't have to, but it's it's better for your physical and mental health to stay in your bubble. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause at some point, if you think about all the stuff, read all the stuff, think about it just consumes you because there's nothing you, the ship is, is going right. Like you said, we're in the, we're in the bottom cabins, right? Hey everybody. This is Josh. Um, wanted to give a quick update about, um, the podcast with Casey and I, well, at the very end, we had some technical difficulties and my recorder shut off so we weren't able to finish the last uh, 10 to 20 minutes of it it's a pretty long podcast so i apologize for that um but i'm gonna go ahead and publish it because it's a really good really great conversation i was really honored to speak with him and i plan to have um casey back on um so thanks again and sorry about the um cutting off at the end of our conversation but up until then it was a great conversation um remember everybody perseverance through strength and vulnerability Peace.